Airport Cosmic Fleet Voyager sold separately from Lego Systems. Exercises. We both sound particularly hoarse today. Yeah. Well, for all a long week. Yeah. It's all that. It's been a late night. Yeah. Concert going, chain smoking. <laughs> I did go to a concert this week. I you did get did. a little hoarse. I saw Sabbath. You saw Sabbath this week. Yeah. The Sabbath. The, the Black, Black Sabbath. The Black Sabbath. Uh, with the original lineup. All but Bill Ward. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, how'd that go? It was awesome, man. Yeah. They say it's the end. I don't know. That's what they're calling it. The end. Uh, and are they torn off their album they put out like last year? The year no, before? they actually didn't play anything from it. Oh. They uh, this is they're just saying like this. Okay, this is the last go round. We had a good success. We had some success with the last album, thirteen. So who did? Th- doesn't somebody? There's somebody who comes out every year. Like was it Billy Joel? This is the last one. And then he Billy Joel has said that he said that, but he's not one that says it like all the time. I think it was like the Who was really big with saying it was the farewell tour. Yeah, and then they just kept on going. Billy Joel said it once. Because he was going to give up back in, like, early 2000s. Maybe he was going to go, like, write classical music or something like that. And, then and uh, Clapton did it, too, in, like, the early 2000s. And then, like, continued, then continued to tour, like, more than he's ever <laughs> tour before. Just to, he's throwing a fast one on you. <laughs> and, you know, I think with these guys, they don't know how not to. They've spent their entire lives on the road. And then when they say, okay, I'm not going to do it anymore, they sit home and they're like in their thumbs. Yeah, you think they get on this? I mean, they've else. been on the road like most of the year since they were in their twenties. Like, I understand a guy like uh, like BB King. You know, guys who like you know BB King is like eighteen kids by nineteen <laughs> wives. You know, so that, it's like, they you didn't. Know, you know, they those guys families. never made the kind of money that yeah. These other guys so made. they're you know like. BB King, Chuck Berry, uh, Buddy Guy, all those guys who were still out there from that era touring, I could see. Well, BB King passed away. But when he was in his heyday, you know, he never stopped from like the 50s. So, but he seems like, yeah, he has bills. That's probably the reason why he's doing this. But the big guys who were playing like. Hubert Sumlin. Yeah, exactly. Had one lung. Yeah, he's still going out playing, you know, uh, Hollow Wolf tunes. And then like Clapton and Keith Richards had to pay to like have his body shipped back to like his family after he died. And he had just come out with that of what about them shoes, right? That was a couple years before that. But I mean, he put out a really good album with everybody. Clapton was on that. Uh, Joe Cocker was on that. Um, I'm sure there was David Johansson. Yeah, so it's like you think they would have. He would have had enough money for burial. You know, that's like Clapton paying for Hollow Wolf's tombstone yeah you know what the hell is going on here in this day and age <laughs> that we can't take care of, you know they can't take care of themselves that well but you know tony iomi was the guitar player for sabbath he had cancer and i think they're just saying you know what we don't know how much longer we're gonna be alive so let's just call it a wrap that's yeah, that's sad so would you see what venue did you see him at madison square garden that's big yeah it was 
How was the show? Is Ozzy still acting crazy, running around with throwing <laughs> buckets of water on his head? <laughs> he was. You know, I've saw Sabbath twice in the last tour, yeah. and one of them, Ozzy, was not in the best, uh, was not best form yeah. vocally. Uh, but then I saw him again on that tour, and he was great. And this time he was on. You know, the thing about Ozzy, he makes you work for it. Yeah, it's like I can't fucking hear you. I know, and it's like <laughs> Tony's trying to do a solo, and he's just like yelling over. Let me see your hands. Like Ozzy, just shut up. Let's listen to the music for two seconds. Louder, fucking louder. I know. We saw them. Remember when they? That we was the first time the they got back there. Re- reunion tour in the first American show as well. It was like because they well, come over since. From, I don't know. They had played America before. No. But it was like the, the first reunion. tour of that. Of that tour. Uh, there was first the first show of that tour. Yeah, yeah in America, because they played England, and then they came over here, and it was that was the first uh, installment on their leg of the tour. That was fun. What, was Pantera show. Opened Pantera for them? opened for them. That was a big deal for me, because I was a big Pantera fan. And all the, remember, the, there was a kid next to us, like, passing joints around, and then when the music started, he was in the Pantera, this young kid, then when Sabbath started, yeah, he just yeah. stopped. There was, was, like, like three crying. of them. There was, like, three, <laughs> ga- three young guys with, like, their uh, head shaved, and you, when Pantera was on the stage, you would have thought, like, they were teenage girls in, like, the mid-60s when the Beatles were on stage. Yeah. They were, like, screaming and carrying on, and then the minute Sabbath, like, came on, they kind of sat down and blown out. They were there to see Pantera. <laughs> oh, I, f- I, t- I felt like some of them were even like just like, you know, they, they couldn't comprehend what was up there. Like, the, like one was crying, one was like, ah, you know, it was like, it was like the ending, like it was like the end of, uh, uh, what's the name of that? Blair Witch Project. <laughs> Kid in the corner. Face <laughs> 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 like, in the corner. Yeah, yeah. You know, he that kind of reaction. He's like, ah. Uh, but on a, on a different note, we're talking about an entirely different movie today. I, you it. know, there's something I want to point out. Because since you brought up BB King, yeah, the face we, in the corner, <laughs> we use the term down way down the alley. Yeah. Oh yeah, we use that all the time. We use here. it all the time, and I think it's we should express the origin of that comes from BB King. Yeah, BB King and Bobby Plan. We're gonna go way down the alley. Yeah. yeah there's a there's a great album called BB King and Bobby Bland live together for the first time. And BB might use it. I feel like he might also say it in reference to a song on Live at the Regal, but I think we definitely get it from the Bobby Bland album you're referring to. Because they're both, uh, there's two albums they did together, Live Together for the First Time and Together Again Live. And uh, it's just them like, they don't even have like a set list. They yeah, just go they're up just there. like dicking around. <laughs> and it's fucking awesome, and the crowd is so into it. And that second album they do, uh, that was the joke. They, they they end it with A Thrill is Gone, and, and they're like, uh, Bobby's like, BB, why don't we play a little thrillers gone? And Bobby's uh BB's like, I don't know if I could do <laughs> these like you know, it's like maybe he's gonna get in some sort of a trouble if he sings it and yeah, yeah, they play contractual, it. Contractual uh Yeah, but they play it and there's a girl in the audience and she sings with them and it's great. But the whole both two albums are them just sticking around, singing all song like just medleys and they do yeah. like a hundred. So of when they come up with a song they want to do, especially if it's and when it's an old one, they yeah. Well, done then for they're, a while. they're they're trying to like you know, Bobby Bland's a singer, BB King's a singer and guitar player, of course, and um so they're trying not stump each other, but they're like, "You remember this one?" <laughs> and then yeah. they, they, they do that, and it's like, "Oh, we're gonna go way down the alley, yeah, way down the alley," you know. And so we've adopted that. Yeah, way down the alley. Not only in the show, but in life. In life, <laughs> it's a philosophy. <laughs> we go way down the alley. So, so when you hear us say that, yeah, that's what it means. It's, yeah. right. it's coming from that. From the origin, BBK. the origin story. Yeah, that's our origin story. Good night, everybody. We'll see you soon. <laughs> So, this uh, one, a little bit down the alley, halfway down the alley. Yeah, this one, you know, and it surprisingly, the more we, we looked into it, the more it has, it kind of connects to everything we've done already, which is kind of yeah. odd. You know, and I didn't, I, 
didn't even realize, but it, it has its feet in Jesus. The at least four or five of the podcasts we've done already. So for and then other one or, or ones we plan to do, which is weird. Um, and uh, we're doing uh, this, this this year this uh, this podcast. Welcome to Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Uh, uh, I'm Jay Blake. That's Dion Baya. <laughs> Happy no. to be here. Kidding. That's Jay Blake. I'm Dion Baya. Happy to be here. And we're here again on a late Saturday night. We are um, we are in the basement. <laughs> in the basement. The made over basement with the fake wood paneling. Yep, yep. Uh, with the shag rugs. And <laughs> shag the, uh, rug. You know, old beat up, like, plaid couch. The cabinet television. You know, the old... The, the, the orange. The wood paneling. Something's orange. Bar. The old bar. The orange bar, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with, yeah. like, the... <laughs> like the cushion. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the put your arm on or yeah, lean like against the cushion on the edge of yeah. the bar, going and, around and, the bar. And you have like the uh, the frame sports posters. The frames match the wood paneling. You know, you ever see that? My dad used to have that in the yeah, old yeah. house. He had a like, dartboard that has so many holes in it, like they won't stick anymore. Yeah, but no one's used it since <laughs> you've seen that. You know, you've never seen anybody actually use yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> and there's like old there's old posters of like you know freaking like Thurman Munson or all, all people you've. <laughs> You know, from years past, you know, all collected, you know, dust. And you know, no one ever goes down there anymore. Yeah. I always find that very There's sad. the one door with, like, the slats. Yeah, and yeah. The wood slats, and you don't really know what's behind them. Yeah, and it's always <laughs> locked. It's always a very light door, but it's locked. I always find that sad. You go over to somebody's house, be it like a grandparent or a friend, and in the they have this beautiful finished basement. Say you got to go downstairs to go retrieve something for them, and you go down there. You've never been down there before. Turn the lights on, and they have this beautiful finished basement. Hasn't been used in 20 years. And you think, like, wow, the parties that must have gone on down here. That it, Now this thing is just rotting with, like you said, like a full bar. So <laughs> you think about, like, us, where we are in life. And us, I mean, like, you know, you and I physically, and then, like, our listeners, where it's like, you know, you strive to, like, get a house, or I don't know if you strive to get a family, and then you want to have, like, comfortability to be able to have some money so that you can maybe have, like, a, I guess they, the, the proverbial term now, the nomenclature is like a man cave. Yeah. So you, 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 I guess traditionally the man caves in the basement. You're gonna have like your 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 workshop or your 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 tool bench or your bar or whatever down in the yeah, basement. Yeah. So this is what people strive for. They they put a freaking finish bait. You know that was back in the old days. I'm gonna put a finished bar, a full <laughs> like. How many people are you gonna it's be entertaining? Gonna be a bar. We're gonna we're gonna, we're gonna splurge on a neon Miller light yeah, sign. Yeah, something really like spotted cow, and we're gonna have a dartboard, and maybe we're gonna play some. You know, you really. A foosball table? Yeah, or if you really have the money and ambition, you can get a loan and get like a billiards table, you know, like a smaller one, yeah, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, you go down there like five times and that's it. And then, then it just slowly rots and decays. And then, you know, in 20 years, when the uh, the layout and look goes out of style, it gets sold and some asshole that's like 22 comes in and rips the whole fucking thing <laughs> out. <laughs> you know, put some sort of like... Jukebox. Yeah, jukebox. You know, come on, who has a jukebox anymore? Or pinball machine or arcade? I had a friend of mine when I was in, I guess it was like elementary school. His dad had a, they had finished the basement. It's a pretty nice finished basement. I think feel like they had a pool table and they had a jukebox. And his dad was like, you know, he played guitar and stuff. So he was kind of cool, even though he was like uh, a dick. <laughs> no, it's just that like he was at that point, you know, he was like kind of a ball with the male pattern ball. I mean, he wasn't like. You know, he was no rock star. Yeah, yeah. He was now just—he was a dad with like two kids, <laughs> a dog, and uh, but they had a jukebox, and on that jukebox was uh, introduced me to the song uh, "Black Betty." Oh yeah, performed by Ram Jam, which is the old. Uh, was it forty fives? Yeah, 
Wow, that's hard to get. I've looked on eBay for this was like yeah, early eighties. This was like in eighty nine, ninety. Oh, okay. Um, I know. Because you look now, bam, bam. Yeah, those things are so expensive to get. Like, um, you know, any functioning jukebox, and then with it, with forty fives in it, or now they're CDs. You know, so you get a CD jukebox, and that's still uh, quite expensive. You know, uh, from that moment forward, I was in love with. That Ram Jam classic. That Black Betty. Oh, Black Betty. Oh, it's so weird. <laughs> I think of the old, uh, the old days there. You can go over people's houses. You know, it's, I, a lot of the memories I have Sleepovers, of childhood. man. Yeah, well, you, you, that's, I think, some of the, the weirdest or, and best memories you have is, like, going over that one kid's house once. How many times were you over that kid's house? That kid, I went not a bunch, a handful. Is he Was alive we, still? <laughs> yeah, Kenny Walker, if you're listening. <laughs> hey, Kenny Walker. <laughs> that sounds like a blues guy. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Kenny Walker. The Kenny Walker. Apollo, show your love. Kenny he played Walker. guitar too. Did he? Yeah. That's good. Hope that took him somewhere. I don't think so. But that's a shame. I mean, he might still be out. He might be out there hitting the, you know, I play. It doesn't take me yeah, anywhere, true. but yeah, I'm out there. Yeah, I'm out there. Well, it's taking you to a point where you have a band and you're with doing the grind. Gigs. Yeah. You're out there. Uh, at, I'm a know, New York Blues Hall of Famer. Yeah, waving the blues around. Uh, you are a New York Blues Hall of Famer. Inductee, yeah. 2015. Yeah. Check it out. That's nice. Um, so it's just so weird to think about these places that now are just so sad. These 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 finished basements. Just yeah. like this is the ode to the old. The memories that just people <laughs> spend so much time. Well, that's why it. our logo has that. Yeah, has oh, that wood know, panel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's for real. Yeah, real in the weeds. That's there. the inside. Video that's tapes an inside. And, and, uh, and and finished logo basements because that's where my grandmother had uh, that wood panel. Who wall didn't? That was the. I think that was in vogue at the time because everybody's grandparents of that generation had that. They're like, this is this is great. It's cheap to put up. <laughs> you don't have to paint it. You know, it's uh, it's it's the way of the future. Uh, it's almost like gee, how many times you've been in, inside a conversion van. Actually, you know what? Now that family. I think about it, my my bedroom when we lived in Philadelphia, so from '78 to like '88, wood paneling. My bedroom had wood, had that wood paneling. Wow, it was a little darker in shade than the one that we have. Wow, on the uh, you had windows. There was a, a window. It was a tiny. I mean, we had a really modest house back then. Yeah, yeah. It was just a tiny little. I had a tiny little room with the. One window, yeah, and it was like in the when the sun would shine in, you could see like all the fucking like dust and fuzz. Oh like yeah, floating yeah, yeah. Around. <laughs> never, does, never that get doesn't, it out of there. It doesn't. It seems like even though I live in New York and everything is like covered in fucking like you don't, you don't get that anymore. I don't. You don't. You don't see that like the dust and the no matter what. Yeah, just just <laughs> refracting. Like, it's like floating. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and you're trying and to like the, catch the, it. The stream of light, beam of light as it comes in. You're like, I'm breathing it right now. This is like old to wood paneling. This cast is turned into the old to wood you know? paneling. I mean, they took it on the road too. Like I said, they, you know, you ever go into a conversion van, and then inside the conversion van is all fucking. Someone's like <laughs> customized the shit out of that <laughs> son of a bitch. It's all wood paneling. There's no wood paneling in the movie we're talking about tonight. though. No, there isn't. No, I guess we should get on t- task. Uh, we, we, I was going to tell you a lot of primary colors, though. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, there's only like seven or eight. Well, there's only there aren't that many primary colors to begin with. There's <laughs> exactly. only like three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they, they ended up just like, using them all. There's yellow, red, red, and blue. Yeah. And then you get the secondary colors, which is some of those. We got the greens. Yeah, greens and purples, maybe. And the uh, oranges. Those are also so primary and secondary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They they only using about 
But there's not using any like different. They're not using like grays. <laughs> no, there's so, no gray. Yeah, uh, we're talking about 1990s Dick Tracy. 1990s Dick Tracy. Another, uh, I, I guess, coincidental. Another freaking uh, a phone book full of uh, actors in this. Yeah, one. this one is. I was thinking about it because you know we've been doing the ensemble. But I, it's not pieces, like we've been doing them purposely. No, but you know, I think this is it's it's a giant cast, but less of an ensemble piece. Yeah. Than like The Breakfast Club or even Tombstone. I mean, there are like a very specific main characters, but then there's a lot of just like the henchmen and all that stuff. So it's a giant cast, but the story itself is less of an ensemble story than some of our more previous efforts here on Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. And in this roundabout watching, I've noticed just like everybody is like a cameo, like even like the... uh yeah, James Caan is yeah. only in the one scene. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Him and even, uh, what's this, the, the actor who plays um, Roger Rabbit's character. He's oh, the, yeah, yeah. Although, but everybody in there is like, all the reporters are, are uh, guys. Even the scene where, uh, spoiler alert, Dick Van Dyke gets killed. Like, all those guys sitting around in the hotel lobby are, are, uh, are like characters. Even um, the Micro Machine Man. Oh, I yeah. I forget his name. He doesn't, he doesn't, like, yeah, he doesn't even... It's like in a montage. Yeah, he's in a montage. I don't even hear his voice saying stuff. And it's like, you know, you should really... Be, that th- must be a deleted thing where I was like spilling out the news like super fast. Yeah, they maybe they just did, thought it didn't work, you know, but too, like too fast. It's like, yeah, you know. I mean, I feel like they could have like tweaked it and it could have been right if they gave him like that, and, you know, coming live, yeah, then, then they just, you know, if it's too fast, it wouldn't sound silly. I don't know. But they have him there. But that's what I mean. Like, even like the... The radio voices on the radio uh, are like cameos. Now, I could be completely wrong, but as I stated in The Breakfast Club, Mm. that I had recently, at that point, had recently listened to our Mad Love cast. And while listening to the Mad Love cast, I point out that there's a guy in the movie. Now, it escapes me which scene, but I'm like, for those people, he plays the librarian in Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. In an episode of Star Trek. I believe that guy is the guy who they bring to uh, forge Dick Tracy's oh, handwriting. Oh, yeah, 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 And he goes, I can forge anything. That's, I think that's the same fucking guy. <laughs> but you see, that's, that's <laughs> yeah, what I mean. You know, we're, we're talking about a movie from 1934, and he's now we're seeing like that same guy I mean, they had a 90, I forget the actor's name, but they had like a 92-year-old in here. This was his last movie, of course. Uh, but he Maybe was, it was that guy. You know, he was in there, and he played in the original. He played in like the original. Oh, uh, he played one Dick of the Tracy. Yeah, yeah, in the Dick Tracy. So there's so many. So it's even beyond us how many people who, who are in it. You know, and I don't know if that's just an ode to. Uh, I don't know if that's a success of them being able to throw everybody in there, or it's just sad that you you don't. I don't know. Maybe you have to do more research to figure out who everybody is. They're not really telling you. Yeah. So whose fault is that? Is that the filmmakers, or is that us because we're ignorant? I don't know. But yeah, see, it's, I don't so know, well, so many of them have like wacky makeup on that, like, how yeah. would you recognize them? I mean, even, like Kathy Bates shows up in there, you know? Yeah, but was she like really? I mean, when was Misery? Uh, Nineteen ninety. Oh, so I mean, she really, she might not. When they filmed that, she wasn't like a big star. No, yet. but she went in for as a cameo, you know. It was like you know everybody, you know, they're, they're just throwing the fucking kitchen sink at the whole know, thing. But it's really a cameo when nobody really knew who she was when they shot it. <laughs> I guess. I, I mean, it could have just know, been a bit part. I mean, it's like, an it's like, what's her face is in there too? Um, uh, Maureen O'Hara, you know, because they finished that Maureen O'Hara. What's what's her? I always say her, but she's an actress from the 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s. What's what's from Home Alone? O'Hara. Oh, I know. The Catherine, the Kathleen, Kathleen, the mother. Yeah, she's in it. You know, it's like all these people are. <clears throat> but Kathy, my point is like this wrapped shooting like a month before Batman came out. Yeah. So. 
it wrapped shooting in 1989. Yeah. If Misery didn't come out to 1990, and that was the movie that made Kathy Bates a star, yeah. then she was really just an actress playing a small part in a movie. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, if she's, if, 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 it's, if it's like Tommy Lee Jones, say Tommy Lee Jones has been around for 20 yeah, years, I'm but he made his star in, un, uh, under siege, but yeah, yeah, he's been yeah. doing shit for, so maybe she was well on the scene and we just didn't know her. Like I the know, mainstream. but I feel like a cameo is reserved to people that, like, oh, it's that person. Wow. Like it's someone of, of note. I don't know. I, I brought with us the, uh, the the Dick Tracy, the Circa I got in 1990 when it came out. Dick Tracy, the making of the movie by Mike uh, Bonfire. Bonfire, maybe? Another bon, bon, Bonifer? Bonifer. And it's put out by uh, no. Banton Books, the same people who put out um, the making of the Batman one that I have. You know, beautiful. Now let me ask you, is this sun faded or is this image just the image of the... That's the image of how it came like out. Like how, you see like how it's fucking red and stuff? Yeah, yeah that's, that's <laughs> the explosion of this going off probably because the cover is, the top half is, you know, the logo. to choose from the cover. And it's a sweet ass picture though because there's No, there's a lot of going shit going on, but it's you like... know, it's the end of, the picture at the end of it is when uh, Tracy's hiding behind a, uh, a black and white uh, and uh, he's shooting at the gangsters coming out of the... Uh, the garage and there's an explosion of another prowl car behind him going off and he's unloading his thompson and it's it's like the climactic scene when they're killing everybody and that's the cover of the uh of the dick tracy book but i brought it up because in this book 1990 they, they you know that was one of the things they say kathy bates and all these people so it's like they're listing people because they also say that what's his face warren Beatty turned down doing misery and directing and starring in it so he can do this Interesting. So, you know, there's a whole there's a, a whole bunch of other what if games in this. So. There is a <laughs> what if game. Yeah, uh, and then it's another one of these stories where, um, like we talked about with Batman, uh, the cast, and as well as uh, I'm sure there's another one in there. Well, I think before we get started, I think you need you need to set the table a little bit about Dick Tracy. Yeah. Um, in general. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, his origins. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean... Uh, I don't think we need to spend maybe as much time as we did on the Batman, Batman cast. cast. Well, that was, I think that it's was, important that it's, and a, we brought it's a, a lot property. Of that it's a pro- and Dick Tracy does get talked about. Yeah, we brought him Batman quite cast. a bit because Batman... Because Dick Tracy predates Batman. Uh, uh, Chester Gould, who wrote um, Dick Tracy, was a comic book artist, a cartoonist. He uh, moved to Chicago in, like, 1921. And uh, from between 1921 and 1931... He was there trying to become a cartoonist. He ended up um, getting a job at the uh, <clears throat> Chicago Tribune newspaper. And uh, for people who don't know, between 1921 and 1931, Jesus, in Chicago, that is the roaring 20s. That is the gangster era. You have Al Capone. You have Frank Nitti. You have Dion O'Brien. You have uh, Jaime Weiss. You have, you know, freaking Bugs Moran, St. Valentine's Day Massacre. That was where everything was going down. And essentially what, you know, got... People pissed off, and you know, in the 30s, and you know, and then it turned the tables from looking at uh, gangsters like John Dillinger as like uh, uh, Robin Hoods to like, hey, you know, these people are sh- killing each other in the street. We got to do something about it. <coughs> Hence, where like the G-Men came out, and Dick Tracy was a was kind of like a reaction to that. In like 1931, uh, Chester Gould he comes up with a character called um, Plain Clothes Tracy, but his editor turns him into Dick Tracy, Cause, and because uh, Dick is the popular. Yeah, for like a detective. For or detective, or like a popular slang and he's abbreviation. And he's basically like a modern-day Sherlock Holmes in a certain sense. Yeah, and he's like you loosely know? based on like Elliot Ness. Yeah, who's also who's what the was, fight, you know. Yeah, who's uh, very, you know, part of that whole uh, Al Capone Chicago uh, feeling. And uh, we talked about Dick Tracy's origin story in the Batman cast, but it was like he was just a guy who, who was like... Uh, Gonna marry, I think Tess Trueheart was over her house uh, with her with her father 
crooks break in, like pistol whip him, knocks him out, steal her, and then the gun goes off and they kill the father. And then she, they kidnap her. He wakes up. Cops are there, and they're like, "The father's dead, and the, my you know my girlfriend's you know been kidnapped, and he's like, swear me in." And that's how I guess it used to be. You could be that yeah, easy back just then. Walk right down. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, it's like being <laughs> drafted. Into the station. You know, swear me in. God yeah. damn it! And then all he, right, he became the, yeah, here you go. <laughs> you sure you can use this? <laughs> sure. All right, go for it. And uh, you know, he became a planes cl- a plane clothes officer, and then that's and uh, hence the name d- d- plane uh, clothes Yeah, <laughs> and uh, it, it was an exciting time for 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 Jesus the era of comic books. I mean. Uh, I would like to to say at the the outset that I am wholeheartedly such a fan of the uh, Dick Tracy original um, comics, and if there's a great book that's going out of print that came out in conjunction with this movie in 1990 called The Celebrated Cases of Dick Tracy, and it has uh, the best of, you could probably get it on eBay and stuff like that, but it has all the best of stuff that, like, they used to sell that, like, at supermarkets. Yeah. That's where I got this other book, that, and this Making of Dick Tracy movie book. And it's just so amazing. It's it's really like groundbreaking. Just his style, uh, what's going on in it, and it really set the table for you know DC comics or action comics, detective comics coming out with Batman and all yeah. those kind of characters. Well, even Bob Kane has said that. I don't think as much that like the character of Dick Tracy inspired Batman, but like what uh, Gold was doing with. Tracy, like that inspired, like how he wanted to approach doing Batman. Yeah, I mean, Dick Tracy at the times are very much as a uh, very forward-thinking detective who uses like the the blossoming forensic uh, science and uh, just and new gadgetry, like really cutting-edge stuff that you'd see like the FBI and the G-men at the time using. And uh, he really defined an era. And then you have when Batman comes out at the end of the '30s people always associate say Batman and Batman having a rogues gallery of like the Joker penguin and all these, the Riddler, these different characters. But Dick Trace's was semi prior to that. Um, and his was bigger in a sense where, um, you know, uh, Ghoul wanted to, to, to sell the comic. So to, to, to sell the, to, to sell, um, the, the comics, he wanted to have, uh, it have gimmicks for the kids, so you'd have like two ray wrist radios and all the gadgetry, which is really awesome. And then you have everything by the book. So, f- for to a certain extent, in the 1930s, a lot of these things were plausible. If somebody got kidnapped, you know, they'd have some sort of, you know, uh, and it was all very much realistic in the sense where people were like dying left and right. I mean, it was really like, you know, this. Of course, this is we talk about pre comic code, so you can really do anything you want. So like, <laughs> yeah. a lot of the the people that. Almost all the people that Dick Tracy would come up against by the end of their run, he would kill them, or they would get killed, or they blow up, or now something. You said, do you know that, like, you know, okay, Superman, then you got Batman, as like before, you know, like superhero comics became a thing, and then they kind of went out of fashion until like the sixties. Yeah. Did you know if Dick Tracy had like a comic book line, or was it, was it always just kind of restricted? to the uh the strip i know it was and then and then they probably they may have then like done like culminations where they took various strips and put them in book form to sell them at some point but you know if it was ever kind of made as a comic book i think it was to to a certain extent i think in the 40s maybe they started um 
he made his first comic book appearance in 1936 uh, uh, in an issue, Dallas Popular Comics. So that's like even just before Batman. I'm trying to think. Yeah, Batman's Batman. like 38 or 39. 37, 38, 39. Yeah, right around the same time as Superman. So, uh, and then he got his first comic to uh, exclusively feature Tracy in 1937 called Dick Tracy Feature Book. And uh, that ran... Uh, that rotated between several characters from the comic strips 1938, and I guess like, he kept going from there. So he must have been a strip in, from the early 30s on, and then 36, 37, he gets his own Started book. Kind of and then marketing a book. I mean, at the same time, too, he's on radio. Yeah. They do a radio well, That's series. the other thing. Like Batman, like we went through and kind of some of these superhero ones, we like to go through and kind of give you the history of in the different mediums. There was the radio show. Yeah, he was. On, he had a radio show. Dick Tracy did from 1937 to 1948. So that's pretty long. Um, at the same time, in 37, there was a serial. Yeah, a film serial where he wasn't a, like a detective. He was a G-man. Yeah, kind of changed it, and they added some more elements of science fiction. Starred Ralph Bird, who was kind of like a bit player. Yeah, fifteen. But, uh, but they thought episodes. that like he had like the square jaw and stuff, and so that that was in 37, and then they got the radio broadcasts. Um, then they went into feature films. He had he had a bu- his first feature film was in 1945, called Dick Tracy, aka Dick Tracy Detective. And then then it was followed by Dick Tracy vs. Cue Ball in 46, and which is funny because they started to introduce kind of the rogue gallery element. And you've but never they had, didn't, but they didn't use the same ones that were because popularized was, in the. I think it was strip. so hard. I think if if, <coughs> if you had a uh, uh, maybe like a a. a a film company like Universal or Warner Brothers doing yeah. it, you might be able to. If you had like Jack Pierce. Yeah, yeah. So the, the feature films were like B films made by RKO. Yeah. And they or actually. Republic, the f- you know, Republic film. So it's like. Th- yeah. I'm mean, sorry, Republic Pictures. And like the first two starred a new guy, Morgan Conway, but uh, then they brought back Ralph Bird because he was like the tried and true Dick Tracy on screen. Yeah. And the most famous of these, there's one more Dick, uh, Dick Tracy's Dilemma, and then the Ralph final Bird. one. Uh, Dick Tracy meets Gruesome. And that's probably the best well-known one from that era because Gruesome is played by Boris Karloff yeah. uh, as the villain, so that's pretty cool. And and I don't think, to my recollection, that even though it, his name is Gruesome, I don't think they really did anything to him that no, severe. No, he, he doesn't you know. look any really different and that was than, <laughs> than Boris Karloff. That right. was my biggest gripe in the, you know, even going on to the cartoon show they did for like a, a, a stint, which I was not really a fan of because they replayed the cartoon when this 1990 movie came out to try to cash in, but then they had to recut it because it was, some of it was kind of racial, racially insensitive towards like uh, Asian Americans and like Latino Americans because yeah, yeah. it was kind of like some shitty, um, you know, uh, references to, to uh, like, uh, I don't know, to, 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 to kind of dodgy stuff like uh, you know the stylistically it was very much kind of in the vein i don't know if it's the same company that did it but very much like looked just the cartoon the cartoon you know obviously it looked like the strip but stylistically the cartoon if i recall had a very like uh bullwinkle yeah well that's who did it you're very yeah. right yeah it was it was upa who did like mr magoo <clears throat> mr magoo cartoons and stuff like that the this series ran from 60 to 61 and then they did another one in '65, um, but uh, in '67 they did a they did live, a, pi- a live pilot. William Dozer, uh, yeah, to try to popularize on the success of the Batman TV show, they did a they did a, a pilot, pilot that never aired. Yeah, and um, that's kind of sad, sad in such a way where um, it was a pilot to call. It was called the Plot to Kill NATO, and it featured uh, Victor Bruno as Mister Memory as the villain. 
and it was the, the quality was kind of above average, but ABC and C, uh, NBC didn't want it. And I guess they saw, since it was 67, that the, the hero camp, as they called it, like the, the Batmania craze and the Green Hornet were kind of like starting to wind down. So yeah. they didn't, they, oh, everybody passed on the pilot. And it said the pilot is also notable because it features in the <laughs> credits um, Eve uh, Plump, who plays Jan Brady, as Bonnie Braids. And she never appeared, uh, you know, on the show as a, as a title in the role. They just show her in the credits because that yeah. would have been her character, but they never got around to her. Uh, but in the so in the 30s, you know, it, it, it takes off. Gould, the two things he's got going that makes it successful is that, you know, he has the gadgetry, and then he starts, originally he just does basic, you know, hitmen, villains, gangsters, uh, the like like that, that, that he's pattering off of. I mean, they used to always say, which I find kind of cool, is like, say, Chester Gould wouldn't call like Alcatraz Alcatraz. He's called it like Alcarats or something. Like he, yeah, he'd, yeah. it's always just slightly askew, <coughs> which I Excuse think me. they they end up doing in this film. They end up the 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 screw is always just turned slightly to the right, which and it's 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 kind of like keeps its foot half in the comic book world, and that's what Gould originally uh, then eventually starts doing, where he then develops a rogues gallery. And he develops the rogues gallery to, to help sell the, the strip, and it gets people talking. And people do start talking. And it gets crazy that Dick Tracy, much like Sherlock Holmes, say, with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, gets so popular and so endearing that, like, eventually when he kills off Flat Top, readers uh, are so pissed off that they send flowers and stage a wake right outside the, the Chicago Tribune newspaper offices, which is, you know, that's how endearing and, like, connected these people get to these things. And Tracy runs, and I think Tracy has the 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 um, may have the uh, uh, what do you call that? The honor of having been the longest running comic book series from like 1931 on to I yeah. think today it's still going. Because last night at, before we watched the movie, I was looking online, and there's a there's a great um, website I found that has all like the printed comics that come out every day. You can find them on this this comic book aggregate site, mm-hmm. and they're still doing Dick Tracy comics every day. Do you think they're reprints? Or no, these are, doing these it? are brand new. Yeah, these are brand new ones. They look sweet. I saw, I'll show it to you. It's like Go Comics Pro. I found this this site, so I, I saved the page on my uh, <laughs> on my phone, and I'm going to start looking every day. But it has like Garfield. It has all the, you yeah. know, the new stuff. Um, so, you know, and then as it gets on, you know, in the 40s, I think the mole is the first uh, kind of like villain in this kind of vein that, that shows up. And then he starts developing more guys and in the 30s it's it's you get like people like big boy caprice lips manalis like i guess bosses and then when you get into the 40s the rogues gallery becomes like say gangsters hitmen like mumbles and flat top and all that and prune face and it's so awesome again to give a plug to that celebrated cases of dick tracy uh this has basically it goes by villain and it has each villain that he encounters in it and then it has their original run of of the story and like i said almost all these people get killed i mean mumbles or the, he he ends up killing them, the mole and it's real messed up stuff like moles like <laughs> a kidnapper so it's like i guess you could see why in an era of not having a comics code why it's so alluring for a kid because it's you're basically reading like you know like uh, I don't know, to like a poor man's like like uh, Law and Order or like you know these yeah. kind of shows that we watch now that are very stylized on TV. It's happening in comic book strip form for like you know to a, for a kid. So yeah. it's it's very endearing. And then you know comics become really big and they, like we said they 
they go through stuff in the 50s and 60s. Also, another huge thing with Tracy at the time was merchandising. I mean, toys. They had tons of toys starting from the 30s. They had freaking two-ray uh, wristwatches. We had all this kind of stuff. I think one of our podcasts even starts with a commercial of getting the Dick Tracy two-ray <laughs> wrist radio. And if you watch like the 60s or 70s commercial, it's like this kid's wearing something on his belt and he like puts an antenna up, you know, and it's, <laughs> and, and, and it's only good for like, say, 20 feet, you know, but it's but like, still sweet, you know, it's so then. sweet. You have like a connecting freaking wrist radio, you know, it's like, you know, my Bluetooth ain't working. <laughs> Trying to Bluetooth into each other, you know, but they had like Thompson's. They had like, uh, I mean, this is stuff you can go online and you can find like it, like, you know, vintage memorabilia trade shows. They had like, you know, freaking lead, you know, uh, police cars and <laughs> yeah, they had yeah. like all kinds of, you know they had like Thompson's that when you shoot it it lights up and all ray guns and all kind of Tracy like the garage the headquarters you know uh, masks uh, freaking and also which is cool that they started eventually with that uh, Gould would do was the Crime Stoppers textbook so at the beginning of each strip they tell you like some sort of tip about you know forensics or whatever or or they get into some really weird stuff they'd like talking about how to prevent a crime. And it's like, you know, if you're kidnapped, make sure you're able to try to get fingerprints. Or, uh, <laughs> or like one was like, if you get shot, carefully remove the bullet from your chest and check the <laughs> grooves to make sure, you know, you could see who fired the thing. Then get help. So it's, it's rather uh, fantastical. But it's like, you know, it's... it's I, I always loved how it was... Uh, you know, like we just said, going getting into this movie, where it's like one foot is firmly p planted within comics and the fictional world of, of of comic books and that reality. But the other foot is firmly planted in the realism of like forensics, detectives. That yeah. that, that was all very blossoming with the G Men and all that in the th the 30s, be because they're fighting gangsters. And and like we said, Dick Tracy is a direct reference or answer because of the the problem of gangsterism in the in america in the 20s and into the 30s of the depression sure so um so now we get into as it gets going and i i hear we get into the 70s now and as early as 75 warren Beatty's come thinking of coming up with an idea of for for a dick tracy uh what i don't I mean, maybe I, I i didn't hear that it very well could be i, mean, <laughs> no, I, I don't know who you talking to <laughs> and, and i do know that they started talking about the idea of doing a dick tracy movie in the 70s but it wasn't until the success of superman yeah that it like kind of got really thrown into development yeah he uh and then like always they want to greenlit everything and i think it was that like uh makowitz um the, the screenwriter he he got his hands on it first and well yeah well originally it was like every you know everybody wanted donner yeah and Mankiewicz, to Tom like Mankiewicz, to <laughs> to be involved in their in their like their comic book uh, oriented thing. Donner passed on everything, but he uh, Mankiewicz wrote like the, like a, wrote an original script. Yeah, he first pens the script. They get Landis on board. John Landis. John Landis is very interested. John Landis is like, I'm going to do it. That sounds great. We'll, what we'll if do game? It. Yeah, here's our what if. What if game? We've already started the what if game. John Landis gets <coughs> on board. He's like, I just came out with the Blues Brothers Animal House. This sounds like a great idea. So they get Tom Mankiewicz to write a script. And Mankiewicz's script is really the um, the uh, the first really like uh, pass at this. And he's the one who anchors, he anchors it in the 30s. He gives all the stylized villains. I should go back and say that Chester Gould ended up writing the uh, 
the, the strip himself from 1931 for, I think, like 47 years. And he finally retires, 46 years, I'm sorry. And he retires in 1977, and he hands it off to writer Max Allen Collins, who I personally love, who's, who's the person who went on to do Road to Perdition. Uh, he's done a lot of other things. He's a great writer. He's done screenplays. He's done books. He's done uh, comics. He does a lot of novel adaptations. He did the novel adaptation of this. And um, in like the late 2000s, he's like 2009, 10, 11, 12, he's done a shitload of really weird novelization adaptations. Yeah. Uh, but so Max Allen Collins takes over. And what's really cool about with what Max Allen Collins uh, does in 77 is he finally updates it. I mean, Chester Gould had been doing the Lord's work for 45 years, you know. So, of course, you know, you know the history of Batman, you know, with the ups and downs of Batman in the 50s and 60s. That's the same thing with Chester Gould. Chester Gould in the 60s, you know, they're, they're bringing in spacecraft and they're bringing in, like, you know, flying cars. So, finally, when Gould gives the reins to over to, to Collins, Collins kind of, like, updates it. He brings it semi into re- 70s and he makes it a little more realistic and a little more um, raw in the sense of um, it's a little more... Uh, dirty and like like semi like like you'd see today like the like the they call the max comics where everything's really very realistic and adult orientated Mm -hmm. he kind of did that as much as he could because we had a comics code in in the 70s as well so uh those are available uh you know you can go online and get his uh you know they probably have like uh compendiums because we talk about batman in the 70s starts to go Take a more serious yeah. turn with. Uh, I think it's Denny all O'Neill and yeah, and we we've said it's it's a big <coughs> answer to like how ridiculous because of the comics the, the Hayes Code not the Hayes Code that's the 30s <laughs> for movies the comic code in the 50s the the comics took such a wacky route in the 50s to 60s because what could you do so by the time the 70s kind of after the, ba- the the superhero mania on TV kind of subsides in the 70s they start dealing with like you know drugs and. Uh, urban strife and you start seeing this reflected in the comics and they kind of swing back to more serious Batman does this and then Dick Tracy kind of does this as well so um, uh, getting back to the reason why I bring all this up is so when Mankiewicz writes this early version of the script uh, Ghoul and Max Allen Collins read it and they say it's terrible it's god awful the only good thing about it is that it's set in the 30s, and it has, like, freaking, you know, his rogues gallery in it. That's really about it. John Landis is still really on board to direct, but then John Landis ends up killing Vic Morrow. And to... Yeah. What movie did we talk about that? Oh, we always talk. We always bring it up in, in the... Uh, and he kills there's two one, Asian one children. podcast where we talk about that no, a what, little more at length. Oh, about more. what happened. So, because... In Twilight's in the movie, uh, Vic Morrow and these two Asian kids uh, are killed, or Vietnamese kids are killed on set. You know that really severely messes up um, uh, John Landis's career at the moment. He, he finishes Thriller, he does like Trading Places, and he's marred in like trials for the rest of the '80s about it. So he kind of can't do it anymore. And uh, I think they bring Warren Beatty, and, and then Warren Beatty's there for a minute, and, but then he kind of. Uh, I think he leaves again. Well, I heard that it's like then they kind of pass the project off to Walter Hill. Yes, and 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 and, and Beatty <clears throat> is part of it, and then but then Walter Hill has a wants to do a very serious, how awesome, like it? darker version, like a more it? realistic, like he want Walter like Hill. a real like hard nosed detective, like real movie, and he and Warren Beatty have a little bit of a creative, uh, you know, uh, problems. Uh, disagreements i mean about it. i think that if, if if he put it in the 30s and then kind of kept the the rogues gallery 
to a certain extent, but then just made it very like serious. That would have been amazing. Yeah. Uh, but at, at the same time, I don't know if that would make it extremely dated because '80s amazing could be really bad now. Well, I mean, you know, you're a big fan of like the Untouchables, right? Is that the '80s? Yeah, that's, yeah. But I don't know. But it could go either <laughs> I mean, way. It's still, those, that you movie know? is dated. It's when like you, watch it now, you look but... like uh, there's another guy here who they were entertaining directed went on instead to do a movie much like this called City Heat in 1984 with Clint Eastwood and Burt Reynolds and that's very dated now yeah. you know it's a movie that takes place in the 30s in like Kansas City but it's like it looks like 80s backlots yeah. you know but so Walter Hill would have been cool you know? yeah I think I'm not that's, that's my whole point we're a big fan of Walter we, Hill we, from we, The well, Warriors we love we wholeheartedly love Walter Hill so I think that would have been amazing to see his take on this but he leaves and then there's a whole Another what if of who Martin Scorsese's there for a minute. There's a whole bunch of people. Steven Spielberg's there for a minute. So this is this keeps the um, this keeps the, the 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 script going, and I think the popularity of in the '80s of superheroes, and again we, we said the success of Superman, and then Batman's starting to you know. Uh, People are talking about maybe making a movie of Batman. Yeah. So Warren Beatty again comes aboard, and I think he just finally decides, you know <coughs> what? Uh, why well, I think am he I? And, like after he and Walter Hill kind of had their disagreements about the creativity, Warren Beatty might have bought the rights he, to yeah, do it like in '85. He buys it from the Tribune uh, company, which I guess you know the original. Um, uh, newspaper, the Chicago Tribune had it. He buys the rights in '85. Warren Beatty, um, and also May of 1985, Chester Gould dies at '84. So that's kind of sad that he didn't get to see this movie coming yeah, to fruition. Yeah, like even from the '30s, you know, huge, we, we talk huge about supporter. This, we talk about the serial, and we talk about, uh, you know, we talked about like the four B movies that got made. But he always wanted to see it get like the full like A list yeah. Hollywood machine. I mean, and, and it was just he was so forward thinking with his storytelling. Ghoul, you know, he he was influenced by the silent movies yeah. and the strips. You know, they're almost like a movie. You know, he, he's intercutting film locations and characters, and you know, and that's something you never really. I saw do back before then. we because we're already into the eighties and development for this. You know, coming on the movie something that uh, we I forgot to mention. If you go back, there was a radio broadcast that was done for the armed forces uh, during World War II called Dick Tracy and B-Flat. Oh, I know this. I own this. <laughs> Which <laughs> I Bing. think is worth mentioning because of the cast in it. Yeah, yeah. You got Judy Garland. It's Bing. a spoof. Like, yeah, you know. it's kind of like it's a comedic take on it. Yeah. But, it's still, it's it was, but it also goes to show you how popular Dick Tracy was at the time. Yeah. That they're spoofing it on like in a radio for the armed forces. Yeah. Hear. And it was like to bring a little bit of like lightness and something that they love, which is Dick Tracy. And it has Judy Garland, Bing Crosby, Frank Sinatra. Bob Hope and Jimmy Durante all around. Yeah, in. it's like a radio. Yeah, I think it's. Place. I think it was Bing Crosby had a radio show at the time. I mean, everybody, of course, had a radio show back in the forties and fifties, as did Sinatra for a while. And you know, Bing. And this is a joke. Like Jack Benny would do this a lot. Like you know, they do like a Mr. Moto spoof or whatever. And they get the for Mr. Moto, they'd have Peter Lorre come on, and Peter Lorre would play that character. You know, be, you know. And then there's this huge, which I don't really understand. And I, I don't know. If there's only be about five listeners out there who are going to know who this person is. You, ever, you know, Spike Jones. I never understood. Spike Jones came to, as a band leader, came to be in the late 40s, and he would do these, I guess he's the first person to do like the Weird Al Yankovic spoofs. Yeah. So he's the one who made that we all know, you know, all I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. That's like his big claim to fame. But he would do all these 
kind of like slightly spoofish songs and then he would spoof so this is very much like they would yeah. s- score this be like you know it's a spike jones thing would be you know like this murder and b flat but everybody would do these and it's so cool and it's so funny to find these things that like the, you know they have all these people together doing a radio show and it's just like one night and you know who a lot of people don't even know Bing Crosby and Frank Sinatra hung out, let alone that they're doing like radio shows <laughs> doing together. Doing wacky radio shows. You know, it was, it, it was this or like Christmas specials, you know, it was just yeah. like, it's amazing. And, Sorry, um, just before we get too far, and before we get to the actual movie. And you know, we should also we make it. about the history. I want to just, because it's, it's kind of like a nice little. Uh, we should also uh, make an honorable mention of the, uh, in the 40s, they did a, uh, a cartoon uh, spoof version of this with uh, Daffy Duck and Bob Clampett did it. And it's called like, um, I think it's called like bank robbery, something. It's uh, 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 crap. I forget the name of the darn thing. But it's a very famous cartoon where it's like Daffy Duck is playing the um, uh, the Dick Tracy character, and and he goes in, and there's like you know all the rogues gallery people were there. Uh, and it, you know, it's like hammerhead, and he looks like a shark, or yeah, you know, yeah. or the hammer. Uh, it's called the uh, the great pig. Uh, the great piggy bank robbery and um he's play he's called uh duck twacy <laughs> and uh it was from 1946 so people might remember that one where it's like you know he's uh you know there's like easter eggs as a protagonist uh all different bad guys but you know bob clampett who's a huge um in the uh warner brothers cartoon yeah. 40s he did it tweety bird i think is one of his creations Recall correctly. Yeah, yeah, he had a whole bunch of stuff, and he also went on to end up doing like uh, C- Cecil. Remember the freaking live action? Yeah, yeah. You know the the, the uh, what is that? The Loch Ness monster kind of a thing. That was him, Bob Clamp. But anyway, so yeah, he so even like Warner Brothers got involved and did like a you know an episode of their uh, their thing. So we're in the eighties, <coughs> and uh, we said uh, um, John Landis, and then you had Warren Beatty. He buys the property, and this ends up biting him in the ass. Warren Beatty as a legacy, but as of now, it's almost, you, you hold with something long enough, I guess you could say it, it came out to be a good thing, but we'll have to get back to that later on near the end of the day. <laughs> so Warren Beatty gets it, he, and then he puts two guys to work who... who, who They're guys that wrote Top Gun. Yeah, and, and he, they write stuff, and they, they go through several drafts with, um, with Warren Beatty, and uh, Warren Beatty, and they end up getting like, uh, uh, like a whole bunch of people as well are... Uh, are considered to play like I guess before Warren Beatty, they were thinking you know before he helmed on to d- to write and direct and act, or not write but act and direct. They they were thinking Robert Redford, Paul Newman, George C. Scott. Imagine George <laughs> C. Scott as freaking Dick Tracy, uh, James Caan, Harrison Ford. And at the time when they were talking about um, when this initially first came out and with John Landis, they were thinking of having Clint Eastwood. In, in the in the Walter Hill kind of a version playing yeah. Dick Tracy, and then that would have been fucking awesome. Because then uh, Clint Eastwood, like I just said, goes on into City Heat, which is kind of very much yeah. in semi away, you know, of this. So uh, that would have been crazy to see that. And they have all these, you know, people that end up as much as many people that are in there to um, to uh, the Jim Cash and Jack Epps or the guys who ended up writing this Well, it's amazing to think about, because, I mean, we talk about it with Batman, too, how it took fucking forever. Well, know, it took, like, a, 10 years, right, it, or more? It, it's amazing to see, like, how long it takes to actually get some of these things from, like, conception 
actually to a finished product on screen. I mean, it kind of takes decades. It's <laughs> sometimes it's yeah. ama- it's amazing. You know, we kind of take that for granted. Uh, they they wanted Tim Burton for a minute because uh, after Batman or while well, before or during Batman, they asked him, but then he declined because he he was already slated to do uh, Edward Scissorhands at the time. So you know, Beatty comes along and he starts building this cast of people, and. Um, he initially hires Sean Young as Breathless Mahoney, and then she says that she yeah, allegedly yeah, and I you know this is like the sad we should someone should make like a like a the sad ballad I of Sean that, Young. I heard that it was actually the Tess Trueheart character, but maybe I mean there's a lot of these things you hear conflicting. Uh, You're right. It could have been. Sean. It could have been very much yeah, Tess Trueheart because I guess you could see Sean Young playing the Tess Trueheart yeah. character. She but, says that she kind of shot him down. He he, he that Warren Beatty had. Done, it made, made some advances. Made some sexual advances, and she turned him down, and then she didn't get the part. Yeah, he says. But, I mean, I love Sean Young. Uh, I have a special place in my heart for Sean Young, but... Especially this, wa- this era there are of some, Sean Young. There are some wacky stories uh, involving Sean Young, with the which we talk about with the Batman account. Yeah, this, this poor girl. I mean, she was this close to playing. I mean, she was... Doing, she was she was in Batman as, as Vicky Vale, vale and, and she, she was she was actually training, doing training for for a, for a shot for a scene that never <laughs> even made it into the movie <laughs> for a deleted scene. She was horseback riding in Batman. Remember the scene where it's like you know Alfred's like so I had to nurse him in a sprained ankle. They were going to be out doing a horseback riding sequence, which I don't even they think they even filmed. Yeah. So they're telling Sean Young to go get like uh, you know get up to speed on a yeah, horse, learn how to be an equestrian. Yeah. First uh, day she's on a fucking horse, she she gets thrown. <laughs> she gets thrown, breaks her arm or something. Yeah, and then like uh, Tom recast. Tim Burton's like, see you later. And then like you know they like that's on a Friday they hire like Kim Basinger like on a Saturday and she's there on set in London on a Monday, and uh, it, it's just the sad ballad of Sean Young. Someone needs to write the sad ballad of Sean Young because then she comes and she's trying to get Dick Tracy. Rumor has it now she had Dick Tracy for a nanosecond until she says these sexual advances. Other people just say Alleg- she was... Allegedly. Yeah, other people just say she was really too needy and stuff like that. And, and Warren Beatty's like, yeah, it was a bad choice. I made a bad call. I ended up getting rid of her. And then we all know what well, happened she, with... She, she probably would have been really good in that part. She, lo- I think she would have looked a lot like her character in Blade Runner. <laughs> yeah. Well, she would have been, would've been yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. She was just playing that, you know, that she probably could have wore the same outfits in Blade, you know, for Blade Runner. And then she, you know, everyone knows the sad story of her trying to get on the Batman Returns set as Catwoman, dressed as Catwoman, you know. Um, poor girl. But, uh, so, and then you have all these other people, you know, that are, that are auditioned for, for, for roles. And, uh, you know, he ends up, Warren brings together a, a big, uh, a big chunk of Hollywood comes in, and I don't know if it's if it's just he's just I guess because he's Warren Beatty, he's like, well, you play this, well, you play that, but he ends up getting everybody in there. I mean, you have like like we said in earlier in this every role, like Charles Durning, uh, freaking uh, just you know Dustin Hoffman, you yeah, have uh, James Caan, yeah, just the Steve whole, Marcusel. yeah, yeah, <laughs> there's a whole Manny Pekempton, you know, I mean, there's just like there's just Dick Van Dyke, you know, there's just so many people on so many levels, like everybody in here is famous. And uh, he, you know, and then I guess he was having problems casting the um, the role as uh, Big Boy Caprice, uh, Al Pacino's role. And then Al Pacino, uh, he saw Al Pacino at like lunch, and he's like, "Hey, would you want to play this role?" And Pacino's like, "All right." He was, "Can I scream the <laughs> entire movie?" Hey, you know, I All have right. to say, Pacino in this fucking movie is 
fucking great. And wow. and, and it's and it's it's <laughs> an opinion. It's well, it's when Pacino was still awesome. You know, it's like before Pacino had become. I mean, he got an Academy Award nomination for this, and that was unheard of at the time, getting a Best Supporting Actor uh, nod for a role like this because they wouldn't nominate shit like this. They wouldn't nominate a superhero movie, and I think he lost it to Joe Pesci. And Goodfellas, yeah. but he's nominated for a freaking Academy Award, and like you know, he ends up going on and does like Sin of a Woman and like Carlito's Way, and then he completely ends up freaking sadly becoming like a parody of himself, like De Niro kind of has in, in the, the late '90s and 2000s. But uh, they had Robert De Niro going out for this role, Jack Nicholson, but both said no because they didn't want to be typecast. The Nicholson was doing Batman. Nic- uh, De Niro had already played Al Capone in The Untouchables. He didn't want to be typecast as like you know this kind of a thing. So they get Pacino, and then Pacino he gets the two uh, makeup guys who were very famous, uh, John uh, Caliglione. C- C- Caglone. I can never say these names. Everyone just laughs at us. It's an <laughs> Italian. It looks like Cag- Caglione. Caglione and uh, Doug Drex- uh, Drexler, who were both proteges from Dick Smith School. Uh, one of them uh, wrote to Dick Smith, became friends with Dick Smith at like 14, hung out with Dick Smith, and then because of that, got a job on SNL, and he's the guy in SNL in the early days who was doing the Coneheads makeup and all that kind of a thing. And uh, Doug Dexler went the same way, and they ended up becoming a, a, a creative team. And they went on to do some pretty big things, uh, these two guys. But they hook up with Pacino, and uh, Pacino's like, hey, let's try to invent a character together. And Pacino's character, Big Boy Caprice, is the only one who visually does not look like uh, the rogues gallery because the two special effects artists makeup artists they say the script that they ended up using to shoot the movie was not a uh, the, the 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 rogues gallery guy they wouldn't there's no description of what the bad guys look like so they use Chester Gould's um, drawings as their bible to do all the special effects the, the makeup effects and I think it's all that latex yeah that Dick Smith really patented that really makes this movie pay off to a certain extent, all the, the special uh, makeup effects. And then they bring in um, Michael uh, Lloyd and uh, Harrison Ellenshaw, who we've talked about from like the Black Hole and stuff, to do yeah. all the matte paintings. And this, I think they say, is the last movie to do this kind of style of matte painting because it was, you know, uh, people were using now CGI. So uh, this is the last movie kind of like to, to, to use matte paintings in this way uh, before they end up turning it over completely to CGI. And this was going to be a Disney movie, which is really weird. But Disney just thought it got too a little too risque for it, so they knocked it down to Touchstone pitch, Pictures, and uh, Buena Vista Entertainment kind of produces it. And I guess that's why, because I didn't realize till this screening you could see Madonna's nipple in there. <laughs> I don't know how, after all these years, uh, you know, uh, I had such a crush on Madonna from this movie, and I am a... Uh, a wholeheartedly a huge Madonna fan probably because of this movie I mean I knew her before I I first noticed her when she did that uh, like a prayer video but uh, I think she does great uh, in this movie and then you know everything else but uh, I guess that's the reason why you know Disney was like eh you know they kind of didn't release it you know because Disney had its hands all over it it's so funny that it's not it's not Disney's Dick Tracy but you know with the market the McDonald's marketing campaign if you went down to like Disney Studios MGM Studios at the time I, I saw they had like a stage show yeah for Dick Tracy they had all this marketing they had all the the back lots so you can go visit when you went and took the, the back studio tour the cars and all that there but Disney just didn't want to you know uh, it was a little Don't too take a chance on some nips yeah yeah which you know God bless it. <laughs> You know, well, you know, I wonder if it's that like, 
The reason why we never noticed, well, one, I haven't seen this movie since I saw it in the movie theater. Oh, wow. In 1990. Um, but I wonder if, like, you never noticed it because, like, the resolution of VHS and stuff just wasn't... It's clear. Clear enough. But we would have saw it in a cinema, though, right? Yeah, but... You know, we weren't looking. See, yeah, we're not looking. You see it once in the movies. You know, you, it's the I guess, repeat viewing when you see shit like yeah, that. Yeah, I guess if you're like a 10-year-old kid, I saw this movie twice in the theater. I guess I wasn't looking at her. I mean, I was looking at her figure. Like, you know, she's just striking a pose in every shot, which I think is pretty cool, the, 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 uh, the idea behind it. Uh, but I guess I wasn't looking at the nipple, you know? <laughs> and I was looking at everything else. <laughs> But uh, now with the like advent of like HD, I wonder if like that's why you can see like you see right through that robe. Yeah, and she does it on purpose. I mean, she I mean her character even knew that was that's why she strikes these poses. And she Madonna, she gets the role and she plays it very much. She wants to play it like Marlena Dietrich. So you see a lot of it, even to the even the the poses she's doing while she's singing are very Marlena. Marlena Dietrich poses that she's doing, even with the hair and how the look and all that, and her character. So, uh, you know, Warren Beatty brings together uh, a, a huge uh, group of people who end up, you, the, the people involved uh, equal 63 Academy Award nominations he brings together. And uh, his... Now, there was a little bit of controversy in the casting of Madonna because he was banging her at the time. And he there was. was this, like, thought of, like nepotism yeah, yeah and so to try to alleviate that she she agreed that she would do it for scale yeah. like union scale pay just to be like you know i'm doing it on the cheap so it's not nepotism yeah she only got 30 grand for the movie and she's like grand. honestly like i'll give you that she's she's good in this movie but yeah. she's like notoriously not thought of as being a very good actress it's although she true. although she's She's decent in this movie. I don't yeah. really have any issues with her performance in this. No, I mean, I've, I, everything I've ever seen him in, I never had any issues. I mean, I, granted, I haven't seen a lot of Madonna movies. You know, <laughs> I, 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 I've never seen Desperately Seeking Susan, and I've never seen all of Body of Evidence. I've only seen the parts where she's, like, you know, doing sex stuff. So, uh, but, like, this is probably the only real thing I know her from in her music videos, and I think she's great in it. Um, and she also says, uh, you know, she, she said she'd do it for scale, uh, and she only got like thirty or thirty-five thousand for it. As well as there's this weird thing she said started going on with her and Al Pacino on the on the set where Al Pacino was like the nicest guy in the world. And this is weird. This goes into like method acting. And then the makeup people would first say this that when they put the makeup on him, he'd fall asleep. And at some point in the middle of the makeup process, he'd wake up, look around. It was always around the same, go back to sleep. And then when they were done, he'd wake up and he'd be a completely different character. He'd be Big Boy Caprice. And then for the rest of the day, while he was in that makeup, he would be Big Boy Caprice, being dirty, disgusting, offering everyone walnuts. And then with what he would do with Madonna is he'd be, he'd be always grabbing her, slapping her ass. He'd slap her. And this is even off camera. And she said it would get her really uncomfortable about it, and it would really get her mad that Warren Beatty wouldn't stop it. But she says now she kind of looks at it very much, I think, like the, you know, like the Shelley Duvall, Stanley Kubrick thing, where the whole point is, you know, big boy, you know, Breathless Mahoney's character is this, like, woman who never gets any respect from anybody. She's only looked at as a sexual object and... Uh, you know, very much, she's very much like an abused woman. And Dick Tracy's the first person who gives her the respect, and that's why she's like enamored by him. But 
Al Pacino, big boy's character, wants to like hammer that home and show that she's so scared to be around him and all that kind of thing. So that's why he's always like whacking her ass and slapping her in the stomach and pulling her down. Hits her in the face you know? a couple of times. And that's too. yeah. And he and she he said off off camera he would do that too. He'd slap her in the face. He he just as long as he had the big boy Caprice on, he'd be saying dirty jokes. He'd be grabbing her. He'd be like that. And it got almost unsettling. And like I said, going to the part where the people were saying the nepotism, she would get really mad that Al uh, Warren Beatty wouldn't stop it. But she thinks it ultimately ended up being because she ended up hating him for that. But not Al Pacino. She hated Al Pacino as the character. Yeah. And then it ended up really helping her with her role as playing this really affected, you know, uh, saloon singer, you know, to a certain extent. Uh, and then they bring Stephen Sondheim in to do five or six songs, uh, which are, are pretty good, which, you know, Madonna was it was really new for her to sing songs like that, you know, because how uh, Stephen Sondheim writes. She said, you know, he doesn't a lot of times with songs, uh, he doesn't really repeat himself at all lyrically or even note wise where you can hear. Sometimes if you listen to a song, you'll know what's coming up next where Sondheim songs, you don't. So you have to really know what you're doing and know what's happening, you know, yeah. in that style. So I mean, um, for those that don't know, Stephen Sondheim is like a legend of like theatric, like musical theater. And yeah. like he wrote the lyrics for, he didn't write the music, but he wrote the lyrics for like West Side Story. And then he went on and did, you know, like, you know, many, many successful uh, musicals writing the, the music, including, you know, Sweeney Todd is like all him. Like, I think he might have even written the book for that. And I mean, he's, he's like a legend. Like, mm. singers just like revere him and his work and it's like almost like an honor to be like part of a Stephen Sondheim uh, project so to get Stephen Sondheim to do like five or six songs for uh, you know like a, a movie it was a big fucking deal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was like a big deal that he would agree to do something like that. I think it's this is all coming down to like Warren. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I think you have like really, really Warren Beatty to thank for all this coming to fruition because he was such a fan of the growing up of Dick Tracy and then wanting to play the character. And they even tried to put a fake jaw on him at one point to, to see if it would work to have that, that, that square jaw. But then they realized, you know, with all the, the characters that you're going to have in the movie, you need to have someone grounding it all and, and if you put him in behind makeup it wouldn't be uh it wouldn't be as realistic as you want and they wrestled with the idea of the two extremes of like there's like tracy town and then there's like toontown and if you look at like the progression of like disney where you have touchstone pictures doing like uh, who framed roger rabbit in like 87 or 88 and that's like toontown and then you go to the other spectrum where we have a, a movie near and dear to us that we'll probably do very soon rocketeer in like yeah. 1990 92 that's like the other end of the spectrum. And Dick Tracy kind of falls in between, not only chronologically, but kind yeah. of like in the world where stuff is slightly askew, but it's not so much overboard where it's um, it's too much so. Because if if, if they needed to, to, with the makeup, they needed to be get to a comfortable medium where it doesn't look so much ridiculous because then you'd lose the audience. The audience wouldn't, you know, care. And that was the, the, the thing that Beatty wanted to do uh, with the actual visual look of the movie uh with these matte paintings i mean the first shot in the movie they purposely you know usually with matte paintings 
matte paintings are like hidden to show like say something they can't see like you know they're just an expansion of a shot or the awe of something where yeah like you want to see you, you know, know like a castle like on a, the hill yeah a castle or like sh- you know ships docked in a you know, bay in, in the background so they, they may like pan up to it where you know that matte paintings are usually hidden for that where in this movie they made a conscious decision to have matte paintings be on uh, display to show this is the world of Dick Tracy. This is the yeah. town, the fictional Chicago-esque town. And the first shot of the movie is a matte painting. And, and they did that on purpose to establish the, with the detail, this is the world you're going to be in. You're going to be in a comic book. It's going to be a, 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 a tune, towny kind of a thing. And to me, the matte paintings look very much like that rotoscoped movie American Pop. You know that movie? Yeah. Like a lot of those, the backgrounds of that. Yeah, I mean, it is very cartoony. Yeah. But not in like a, you know, not in like a whimsical cartoony like a, way. Like a Who like Frame Roger Rabbit Toontown. Yeah. Like, yeah. But like in a, like. Like t- comic. Yeah. Like or, dark. And like you're establishing the world of a comic book less than, you know, of a moving comic book as opposed to a cartoon. Yeah. Um, I'll quote the, the my, my making of the Dick Tracy book, which I love here. It says that Beatty sought a breakthrough in motion pictures that would fuse the functions of writing, production design, costuming, photography, acting, editing, music, visual effects, and f- uh, focus them into a whole. The challenge was to, if they could create every frame of film to contain its genetic code of the entire film. And that was what they wanted to do with the production design and the makeup. And well, the, I will say, you know, when we talked about the labyrinth a few weeks ago, we kind of made this point of like, it's like they're throwing the book of like what is they're capable of doing at that time in terms of, uh, you know, makeup effects, puppetry, uh, the map paintings, like you know everything that's a pre like CGI, CGI yeah. world. They're like they're. You know, they're doing everything skillfully and beautifully. Like, this is like, obviously, there's not really puppetry in this movie, but this is almost kind of the same thing. You know, we've got all the prosthetic makeups that are going on. You've got all this matte painting. They're doing, like, they really are just, like, throwing every bit of, like, movie magic at the screen that they can in this world that's transitioning to CGI. So it's like a beautiful like time capsule. It is like, very just much be- Just before I anything mean, goes kind of car- like animated cartoon CGI, you get like this last like hurrah of visual Hollywood yeah, magic. It's, it's like the, the last magic. vestige of what we have before you hit the 90s with the Jurassic Parks and the Disney going to, to 3D animation and all. And... Uh, it, I mean, it, there's so much technically going on here where they're talking about just even the colors used or, or the, the primary and secondary colors are just to the point where you don't usually use stuff like that. So the entire movie had to be shot either on back lots. Like they had to make like, there's like 55 sets and, you know, exteriors, interiors, every car they needed to be generic cars. So they, so the point is you can't have like Fords and like Hudson's and Mercury's. So what they had to do was they had to just figure out stylized versions of cars. So they take cars and they they just said short cars will be the good guys and big long limos and stuff will be the bad guys. And you know, and that was how they distinct there's good guy cars and bad guy cars. And very early on, you know, the big thing for them to be forward thinking is they had to think of the lighting design. And the lighting design, especially with all this foam latex. The makeup people were like, you know, we have to be very much on board with the lighting because, and I think this is a, a, a true point. If you're not on with your lighting guys about makeup, that's why I think a lot of times 
like latex doesn't photograph well. You know, there's no blood running through it. There's no, yeah. you know, like that so we have. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to know when lighting it. And I think that's a lot of times when you see, uh, there's a there's a great example I always think of. There's a movie I, that's, I love called Bones, which is an early 2000s horror movie with Snoop Dogg, of all people, in it. And it's kind of like an homage to like like Italian horror and haunted house movies. But there's a character in it, this the, the guy, a detective who ages in the course of the movie. And now they have him in like a fat suit semi because he's supposed to be like in his 50s. And it just, he looks horrible in it just because I think they lit him wrong. They did yeah. like downward lighting. And it's like in this movie, they say they had to get on board, Dick Tracy, I mean, they had to get on board very quickly with the lighting department to say, hey, look, you need to know how to light this stuff because, you know, 80% of everyone going to be on frame is going to be in makeup. Yeah. And if you light it wrong, especially with the colors they're using, it's going to look horrible. You know, so, and I think it is a tour de force that everybody visually look, it's astonishing visually how it all looks. And especially they're using like the di the diopter lens. Yeah, a lot of that. You know, like two photos. Both things, something in the foreground it's in focus, as well as something in the background in focus. Yeah. And Which the, gives a very stylized look, but it's a look that... Uh, you know, someone who uh, I think of our generation would grow up, with, you know, it becomes it's an effect that it's very stylized, but it's definitely like a shot that has a little, you know, like it like is dated. It, well, dated, but I was going to say that there's like a, you know, there's a little place. Oh yeah, it's like, it's like like we like you know you love that shot. Yeah, you know? of course you know someone like De Palma used the fuck out of that. Or Hitchcock shot. kind of came up with it, and then De Palma uses the fuck out of it. And see, my history with this movie is, but it's in the you know you see it in the thing, but it's like it's a it's something that you know it, it draws your attention, which could be a good thing or a bad thing. But it's like I don't know, like I said, there's like a little bit of uh, if it's when used, you see it, you get excited. There's like yeah. a little place in my but heart I, I for like a split it's diaphragm. Like, <laughs> I, it's, it seems it seems if it's used ineffectively, it's horrible. Yeah. And I know for some reason I had seen this movie a bunch when I was little, loved it, played with the toys, you know, and then it kind of went out of favor as I got older. And then I watched it again, and then I got it some years ago to try to watch it when I was doing research for a. a, a a script I was writing that takes place in the same era, so I was trying to watch everything around that era, and I really couldn't get into the movie. And I was drinking, and I just turned it off. And and I have a memory of these diopter shots looking horrible, like this, yeah, yeah. you know, dated. But then when I'm watching it last night, it's or this couple hours ago, it's like some of them look really cool, like with like the scene where like the kid is looking down at the watch at the, when they're in the booth at the diner, and that's in, like a lot of them. Yeah. I can't fault one of the the, the or the one with. Madonna walking in or walking out with her earring in shot yeah, and this close yeah. up in the glass. It's like it's so, it's 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 craftily used and it it is a, f a forgotten era. All this stuff is just just the matte paintings and the the double exposures with optical printers and everything. It's just, I mean, they said there's a there's a Disney patented um, uh, uh, at the time the uh, effect that they used that no one else would use or can do. Uh, and it's called like an iodine something trick that they do that, that Disney pioneered maybe for the black hole. Um, and they use it at the beginning of the movie when they, when, when they introduce Dick Tracy's character, at the opera house. 
And they say, if you look at that shot, there's like four or five different elements that are perfectly in focus. There's extreme foreground of like audience spectators. And then in the middle ground is Dick Tracy. He's getting the call. And then behind him, there's some more, or in front of him, I guess, there's some more people, audience members. And then way in the background on the stage of the opera house, the opera's perfectly in shot. Yeah. And they said that was a hugely complicated shot to do. But they were trying to just really set the setting of visually. Like a flat image of a comic book, of a comic frame, basically. Yeah. Where, like, when and you draw, like, a comic frame, everything's in focus. There isn't, like, this depth of field that comes from motion pictures. Yeah, and then the, the Disney was saying that's literally impossible to do. But they have some sort of process they were able to do it, and they, they showed it off in that shot. And... uh uh, the, the one thing which I don't understand is that they talked about the one of the reasons why the um, uh, these matte paintings went out of style and CGI came into light like like a couple of years later is because of course there's a, a the massive money that it costs to do this and time to do actual matte paintings and we've talked about it what goes into making a matte painting yeah. uh, with Peter Allen Shaw who's Harrison the guy who did this movie's father. Uh, uh, I think of the Black Hole cast. If you go listen to that, you can hear all of us talking about matte paintings. But they say one of the drawbacks for this movie that turned into to, to people onto CGI is that, you know, traditionally with a matte painting, you can't have any movement in the frame because the matte painting is a painting. So you have to have your your live action. Your camera has to kind of be locked, and you have your live action going on, and the camera can't move because if it moves, then you'll reveal that the painting is 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 cleverly disguising whatever your background is you know yeah. if you your paintings showing that castle on the hill or whatever you can't practically make physically you you draw it and you make it look seamless to like your thing and they're saying that's one of the drawbacks to why they they stop using matte paintings but as we talked about in the black hole podcast disney actually invented a camera that was more technically des- uh better than the Dijkstra Flex that Star Wars used that was purposely made that you can pan and zoom and focus on matte painting shots. Yeah. And they use that beautifully in the black hole when, like, they walk out onto the de- the, the, the bridge of the, the, uh, the Nostromos, I think it's called, and, and, the, and, the, uh, and they, they pull out and you see fucking the whole labyrinth or, you know, the, so I don't know why they're... They're saying that was a drawback because it's it's a Disney movie, Dick Tracy. And yeah. So is that so they would certainly have that equipment on resource if they wanted to use this, you know? So yeah, well, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. So uh, plot of the movie is uh, you got the same plot as Batman. Yeah, it's it's basically <laughs> which is, and it's it's hilarious. Which is weird. It's because it's, it's they they're being shot at the same time, and you have basically I mean to 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 get to the three elements, it's like Dick Tracy's conflicted. Dick Tracy wants to fight crime. He's got uh, big boy Caprice who's coming to power. He does his big uh, power shift, kills the big boss, Lips Manilis, takes over his organization, his mob, takes over his territory, much, very much like a classical, um, you know, Chicago Al Capone kind of a power very grab. Very much like the Joker does. In, in Batman, Batman, yeah. And, um, uh, and then at the same time, Drew Tracy wants to fight this crime. He's hassled with his... Uh, Semi-girlfriend, Tess Hart wants to kind of like uh, make everything official and get a ring on her finger. And he's like, well, I want to fight crime and I don't know if I can do this. At the same time, they're left on their doorstep is this kid named the kid who is an orphan. And, you know, they both have hearts and they don't know if they want to bring him to an orphanage. And maybe they can, if they're going to make Tess and Dick going to make their life work and he's going to put a ring on her, her finger, maybe they can adopt the kid. And then the other th- element the add in is, is uh, Madonna's character, Breathless Mahoney, who's just like a sex pot and just wants to fuck. 
and she wants Dick Tracy because Dick Tracy's the first guy in her life who is giving her, you know, like treating her as a woman, not like as a sex object. So she's just throwing herself at him, and he's like, you know, uh, as a testament to like the ultimate, you know, not only man, uh, uh, but as like the Dick Tracy character, he's his heart belongs to Tess Trueheart, and he gets into some really compromising situations that I don't know how, uh, you know, any of us under the Lord's eye would be able to, <laughs> to, 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 to shy away from, you know? And that's basically your, your plot. And then we have, like you're saying, it's, it's very much... It's, you, gotta, you, have a, you have a detective yep. who is uh, noncommittal because of his work. Yep. You have an over-the-top crime, an over-the-top bad guy that takes over the mob in yep. town. And then you have a finale, spoiler alert, yep. that where the the over-the-top villain kidnaps, kid, the, kidnaps girl. the girlfriend of the detective, yep. and the, the big uh, finale ends in like the inner workings of, of some kind of structure yeah. with, uh, spoiler alert, the, <laughs> the over-the-top villain being you know, falling to his death. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's striking. The odd plot points kind of uh, and match up. Spoiler alert too, the end of the movie we haven't realized is it's a New Year's movie. You know? Oh, you should have done this for yeah. New Year's Eve. They, 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 they rush by Christmas. There's not, a, there's not a hair of Christmas, I don't think, in this movie that I didn't see. Well, I'm, I'm usually looking for, did you see a Christmas tree? I, I did not, but yeah. it's also a fictional world. Maybe they don't have Christmas. God, it's a hell of a world to live in if they don't have Christmas. <laughs> Uh, it seems like this would be a Norman Rockwell kind of a Christmas kind of world, um, you know, world they would have. But this is a uh, a New Year's movie, and then uh, I love that the monologue at the end of it because he he can, like confess, confesses his love to her, and, and that's really I've, for years that that line. There's a lot of lines in this movie that have plagued me, and you know I've, I've actually put too much thought than I should have about like you know script reasoning. And it's it's funny like he's uh, Al Pacino's character through the movie just throws out all these quotes and I think it's because he's like a you know he's an, an, an idiot an idiot he's a villain and but he memorizes you know great great quotes and he throws them out trying to maybe uh uh to himself bring up his level of intelligence so at the end of the movie he's gone ins- completely insane if that he was already insane and he's just throwing all this stuff out and he's just mumbling to himself and then finally he just looks at it like don't you know I love you and it's like I wonder if it's he's actually fallen in love with her because that's the kind of woman he wants. He wants a test true heart, but he's only been exposed to the breathless Mahoney's, you know, the whores. And he wants the girl oh, who's, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, you know, it's <laughs> like he he's looking for, like, a girl to, like, you know, who's going to be a homebody, you know, where yeah. he, all he's been is he's been, you know, with hookers and, and saloon singers and sirens. And, you know, what I mean? so it's it's a little weird um, dichotomy there. But uh there's a lot going on in the movie, you know, and uh, there's a lot going on, but there's also not a lot going on. It's a very, yeah. it's a, I, I would say, here's the thing. Like I said, I haven't seen this movie. This is where we get to the nostalgia part, which it's late in the podcast, but I haven't seen this movie since the movie theater. And I remember when it came out and it was like a big deal. And I remember after seeing it, I was kind of into it, but I didn't have the book or the posters or the or the it wasn't a movie that really affected me so you didn't go to mcdonald's and try to get remember they had the little you had to get the the you'd get it off the remember much like the the monopoly thing you take it off the cup 
and you'd see who you'd get. And if you had the blank, you'd get like a million dollars, you know, yeah, <laughs> or whatever the fuck. I and don't then, remember. Then any they'd of give that. you like a map, and you'd, you'd, you'd lick it, and you put it on the map, and that was, this you know. Cl- you mean, clearly this movie was much a much bigger thing for you. Oh, this was huge in, in my world. Yeah. yeah. But it, this it was because what happened was that Piggy, Batman opened the door for all this. Prior to Batman, I was like into G.I. Joe. And I can, I can trace my toy childhood from, you know, Transformers, G.I. Joe's, f- cops fighting crime in a future time. Batman drops that summer, and then you, you right in the Batman comes 1990s Dick Tracy. Dick Tracy drops. Dick Tracy carries me to Ninja Turtles, and then Ninja Turtles is, you know, I'm going out of playing with toys at that point, you know? Well, it's funny because, and, and I don't, and I hope you don't take this in kind of any kind of negative way because I don't mean it this way, but it's very, this movie is very much when you look at it, it's very... You know, you're saying that, this, you know, clearly maybe this is like the precursor to it, but it's very much like a Dion movie. Yeah. In terms of like uh, a lot of the stuff that you're into is kind of like guy oriented and there's like the detective and the mob and, and stuff like that. And it's not something that I, I dislike, but it's something that like I very much equate with like you and, and like, you know, you're into like, uh, you know, and Warren Beatty doesn't really fit the bill of the kind of like Eastwood and Stephen Queen actors that that uh, you know are the kind of actors that you like in the movies that those kind of actors make. But he's also like those people are of the same era, yeah. you know, of like a seventies, sixties, and then seventies. So, so in a lot of ways, it's like. I can see where this was like such a big movie for you because when I look at like the kind of stuff you're into and the stuff you've gravitated towards since I've known you, like I, I can think I can I can look at this and kind of see like yeah I can see why this was a this big was deal a, for I think this was a pillar making all that you know I got into you know gangsters and stuff when I was little and then when this came out this solidified it and then this brought me into like this aspect of cinema and then like you know you and I both in our formative years of high school and middle school were huge into like the Goodfellas, yeah, Scorsese yeah. end of Reservoir Dogs and the gangster era in the 90s. So this kind of fit in there to the point of our age group. And then yeah. as we got older, we got into the more realistic of Goodfellas Casino and stuff or Reservoir Dogs where, you know, this is clearly, you know, fantasy, Dick Tracy. Yeah. I also so, rem- But on a personal note, like I remember, I remember not loving like the whole primary secondary color things when I was little, I remember like understanding like the uh, intention, but not liking the look of the movie, even when I was a kid. And I think that might be one of the reasons why, like it never became a thing for me. Um, and then I hadn't seen it since 1990. So when we, when we came up with the idea to idea to do this, obviously like I'm up for doing anything, but it was not a movie where I was like, it's good. I was like more like, it's going to be interesting to see whether I like this movie after we, you know, after we watch it this time because I really had no frame of reference because yeah, I, had, I hadn't seen it in fucking over twenty years. So I will say this: it is. I enjoyed it a lot more than I was afraid I might. Yeah, you know, like I did like it. I feel like there's a lot of problems. Like I don't, I don't think the script is particularly great. See, you know, this is what I hit on. I I loved it as a child. And then I watched it some other point right around the time when I revisited Rocketeer. I loved it then. So maybe yeah. this is like, you know, I don't know, early 20s. 
I hadn't watched it. I don't it think in, it holds up the way The Rocketeer does. No, and I agree with you. Completely agree with you. But I think it's because of the f- it's leaning towards a Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And I keep saying that. And Who yeah. Framed Roger Rabbit's like a masterpiece in its own right. And it has nothing to do with this movie because of how they play it. But I watched this movie like five or six years ago. And I, I was like, I couldn't get through it. Yeah. And, and I am the kind of person who won't walk out of a theater. Uh, if I start reading a book as bad as it is, I have to finish it just because I started it. I don't know why. Maybe it's like a thing about giving up. And I, it makes me ruin an experience even more that I have to fit, sit through something <laughs> that I don't like. But I will do it just to say I finished it because I yeah, started yeah. it. And I turned it off that experience. I mean, I had been drinking that night. I don't know where my mind was at the time, you know, if I was like, you know, you know, pissed off but well, I, was the, like, the, I was like this movie's I, but there I, are some things you know, there, and I think that's one of the interesting thing about movies is like the state of mind the location who yeah. you're watching the movie with blah 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 all that stuff really does factor into like the yeah, enjoyment yeah the of experience it. of it all and, and it, like if you see it for the first time in a good experience like in some cases that can be like the thing that creates that nostalgia that makes you love it for the rest of your yeah. life. And that also forgive a lot of, I guess, you know, the movie could be God awful, but it, it could be very forgiving for you because of, yeah. like you're saying that, uh, visceral experience that was generated when you saw it. Yeah. So when I last revisited this around 2010, nine, I was like, this is horrible. And I couldn't sit, watch it. But then watching it last night, I was really afraid. Like this is, I don't know if I'm going to be able to sit through this. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I like, I loved it that much more that I enjoyed it. And it was like, the, you know, I, the script wasn't as nearly as bad and awful as I remember it. And like you're saying, it's very bare bones. It's like here, it's like, you know, one, two, three, four. Yeah. You know, Tracy's not really, you know, what's he emoting? Uh, I mean, but I was a lot of, over the years, I've always heard people fault like Warren Beatty for this. He was too old to play the character. It should have been somebody else. You I, know? Well, he, I wouldn't say, here's the thing. I wouldn't say. I wouldn't fault it for it. I would say that if it was made today, and this is like, it's surprised that it's surprising that he got to do it at the age of 52, yeah. even in the 90s. But if it was made today, it would he would never get, like someone his age would never get cast. No, no. Not even if it was like it. a George Clooney, you know, they'd, they'd go younger. Um, but I think he he was, he looks great in it, I think. I don't think he looks too old. I, 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 my mind had been clouded by the years of people saying that, so then I thought to myself, yeah, he must have been elderly in it. Yeah. But to me, he doesn't look like a 52-year-old. He looks like a, you know, like I guess it's that era of... I mean, he doesn't look like a, you know... He doesn't look like, yeah, he doesn't look like he's 20. He's not a kid, but... But he surrounds himself with, you know, you have Charles Durning, you have, uh, you know, uh, all these other people who were around his age at the time, so it's not like he's standing out like they just did that gangster squad that flopped a few years ago so it's not like you're getting like you know him in there as 52 and everybody else is like team of untouchables is like 20 yeah, yeah you know so you know i guess because everyone else in there maybe with the the caveat of madonna who's probably god love her ass she's probably what 20 i will say this i never was like a madonna lover like I would never went through like a like oh Madonna so hot like I'd like to bang no but I, I but I will say she is fucking steamy in this movie <laughs> and I and it's uh, she's seductive I would say that her character is not there's not a lot of development and I don't really uh, I get your explanation and I could see it like her ex- your explanation of why she's enamored with Dick Tracy like I see it but I see like that love triangle is really underdeveloped. I completely. I think that that's the problem with the film is that there's a lot of underdevelopment where uh, Warren Beatty had like a longer cut of the film. He had like a, a cut maybe two hours and ten minutes which um, Disney made him cut down to like I think this is just over 90 minutes or 90 minute mark. Something like that. So yeah. it would be f- interesting to develop a lot more of these little 
uh, side plots to yeah. kind of develop, like you know her. And, you know, because, you know, she's basically, she's playing, again, the Marlena Dietrich, where she's just a saloon singer, and she's singing these songs every night, and, and, you know, I read an interview with Madonna, how to get into it, and she's saying it's just hard, because she's not out going, trying to sing, to get anywhere in life, to get, like, a singing contract, she's just stuck, and you think of what world she's in, where, in the 20s, that you're singing the same stuff every night, you know, at, like, 6 o'clock, 8 o'clock, 10 o'clock, and 12 o'clock, to, like, fucking horrible, I mean, this is certainly a, um, caricature but you think of the world you know yeah, she's singing yeah. to like you know horrible people and basically it, the underbelly of yeah, society you know, <laughs> you know and, and she's like organized this, crime yeah and she's the sultry you know and then like it's funny that the the people behind her 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 team of dancers and singers backup singers were all very experienced broadway actresses or singers and they actually had to dumb down and do it on purpose like i love that scene when when al pacino gets the uh gets the club and he comes back and he's rehearsing with him and he's like yeah. hitting him he's like count your blessings one two three <laughs> you know, it's yeah, like, yeah. And he's going he's he's into it with Manny Potemkin and he's and he's really like going and like you know Pacino psychoanalyzes his character like he wants everything to succeed he wants the respect but no one will give him the respect like even to that room he gets them all together in the boardroom he's he's he takes I'm gonna take the town over and of course the one person who says no to him is James Caan and he doesn't get the respect and he ends up killing him very upsetting you know it's yeah, like, yeah. and this is another movie where it's like I think they have so many great fucking lines like they're just, they're just silly but it's like you know where Mandy Potemkin offers him that thing the blank says and he leaves and like flat tops like should I follow him boss like what are you going to follow him to the piano yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah, it's like yeah. very funny you know yeah here's the thing the stuff that I you know I think the the sets and the matte paintings, obviously, uh, you know, very, you know, much pulling on uh, the nostalgia thing for me in terms of a visual style. I think they're beautiful. But I think it's also a bit of a catch-22 in that, um, like you were saying before, which I'm, which bringing up what we talked about in the black hole, it, it does kind of, it's odd that it does cause it to be a very static movie. Yeah. But in a way that didn't really bother me as much as the fact as like it's a city that has no people. Well, they they <laughs> they tried to. There's like it's just the cops and the gangsters. Yeah, you see some people walking around, like, but in those long it, shots, it's just it's and abandoned. it's like just empty streets, and it's like it has like this very like weird, empty, almost claustrophobic feel. I think because of the sets and like the. Uh, but is that done on purpose? Like they they on purpose they picked since they were using such extensive use of like they said fifty seven map paintings they had to forcibly keep the camera you know locked down for yeah. the majority of it so they 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 say they embraced that by doing these little vignettes much like going back to the comic strip and they wanted to you know like chester ghoul would do vignettes oh you know in your comic strip because sure. you can't you know move a fucking camera you know it's a comic strip how are you gonna pan yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know so you have to have arrows and all that kind of thing you know indicating what's going on and so they try to do that. Yeah. If they succeeded, that's another thing. Well, it's up in the air. You know, it's dated now because it, it's like, sadly, like you look at Sin City. To me, that's dated because it's 10 years ago, you know? Yeah, but I will say, but we'll, you, but, we'll talk yeah, about that. Yeah, because this, 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 Dick Tracy is really greenlit all these other fucking movies to happen, yeah. you know, uh, non-comic, uh, non-superhero comic movies. Um, but in, also to bring Black Hole up again, this is the first... Danny Elfman, who did the score for this, who Danny Elfman says, yeah, a very Batman reminiscent. It's score. great, but De- Elfman says it's 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 the complete opposite for him of Batman, where this yeah. is Batman's this like a lot of like a lot of Dick Tracy's like call and answer, and you know very much you know he brought in the guitarist from Oingo Boingo and Shirley Walker to help him 
pen this. And uh, I guess because of Batman, he got this. And uh, this is the first uh, soundtrack recorded on digitally or recorded completely digitally or done digitally where Black Hole was the first uh, album to be recorded digitally, but I don't think it was released digitally. I don't know how that that happened. Black Hole was was the first one. Yeah, it was recorded digitally, but maybe it didn't fulfill the whole process, like you're saying. It wasn't released on like CD or whatever, where um, Dick Tracy was recorded completely digitally, which really pissed off. Danny Elfman. Danny Elfman likes all analog yeah. and all that kind of thing with with the you know where he's using the big arrangements and stuff like that. So and I love this this it's oh uh, you know you were, you brought up going to see Tim Burton and the Danny Elfman thing some months ago on a podcast and yeah. and, and uh, I was thinking of all the stuff that Danny Elfman's done and then you know you think about all the stuff that's not equated to Danny to 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 Tim Burton and yeah. you think like this movie there's. Danny Elfman has so many great scores, like, you know, Tailson or Crypt and all that stuff that is not Tim Burton related, and you forget about. I mean, he does, like, doesn't he do Superman? I mean, I'm sorry, Spider-Man? You he, know? Yeah, he worked with, he does a lot you of know? work with Sam Raimi. He does, so. he did, like, the Hughes Brothers Dead Presidents. He, That's he did, like, Danny Elfman. Nightbreed for Clive Barker. Yeah, so it's 90s. like he, you know, if you go look at his catalog, it's amazing the widespread like not girth or breadth of his, ca- of, yeah. his of his, uh, of his catalog, and this is one of those examples where it's, you know, what I found interesting is in the evolution of Danny Elfman to Batman the Animated Series, near the end of this movie, there are cues in this, Dick Tracy, that sound right out of freaking he ends up using for Batman yeah. the Animated Series. I wonder if Shirley Walker has a, has a, is one of the reasons for that because she helps orchestrate, do, you know, helps orchestrate the stuff. Basically, when you make a, a composer will write out the parts and then it's usually the unless they orchestrate the piece themselves it's usually the job of the orchestrator to then break up what the composer did into the parts that each person in the orchestra that's going to pl- going to play because the the amazing thing that you know the thing about um you know like a guitar player plays a guitar or the drummer plays the drums like that's their instrument the way like a composer that writes classical music or even like big band jazz, like the 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 orchestra is Danny Elfman's instrument, you know, and like the strings are like, you know, one of the keys on the piano and the horns, you know, the oboes are another string. And it's the way he it's the way all those elements come together and they're all playing something different. So it's like you're taking all these little pieces and then when you combine them, it makes the piece of music. So if you look at it like that, you take someone like Danny Elfman who comes from a rock background who maybe isn't as, but even class, even, you know, it's also, uh, you know, even composers that do have a background in like, you know, uh, an educated background in classical music. They use orchestrators because it's just someone else to help them fulfill their, you know, to take a load off of the of the, a workload off of their shoulders. But so um Shirley Walker is given the job of like, okay, now take what I've done now make give, you know, break it up into the parts for each instrument cuz you know, like the guy that plays the violin doesn't on his piece of music that he's reading doesn't have the guy that's playing the trumpets music on it it only has what he's doing somebody needs to do that so shirley walker comes in 
And she helps uh, Danny Elfman do that. Now, as we talked about in Batman, there's, there is controversy that I have no idea what the truth is, where Shirley Walker may have uh, basically been a ghostwriter on some of Danny Elfman's stuff. I don't know if there's She's any... since passed away as well. Yeah, and I don't know if there's any truth to that at all. But uh, one thing that is true is that even though maybe uh, Danny Elfman writes the theme for Batman the Animated Series, which is obviously based off the Batman score, Shirley Walker goes on to then write, without Danny Elfman, most, if not all, of, like the music for the series itself yeah, Batman the in the series. style of Danny Elfman for that score. So I wonder if Shirley uh, Walker has kind of has a hand in why you're saying those cues I mean, in, near the end, especially in, when in they're Dick in the, Tracy uh, sound very much like the animated series because she basically goes on and scores that show, even though Elfman writes like the main theme. So it's, uh, it's all an interesting you know, the music is something in a movie that doesn't really get thought <laughs> about yeah. in terms of like how it's put together and how that works very often. And this is another sh- one of these uh, things had like th- at least three different albums. You had the Danny Elfman score, you had a Madonna album yeah. that was like a tie in. Th- it could have been Vogue or Express Yourself. Uh, one of the vi- one of those is 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 f- a tie into this album. She took her, I think it's the. Is it the Blonde Ambition tour? I think, or one of these tours she did. She, yeah. she was her idea to. I'm going to put Dick Tracy on the w- road, and she's going to turn it into the stage show. So that she has a guy on stage dressed as Dick Tracy, and she's singing to him some songs. And then there's the actual soundtrack, the Stephen Sondheim yeah. album that they came out with. With one of the songs she sings, I think, say four out of the five songs. Yeah. She she does a sure Manny Potemkin. Manny Potemkin. She's yeah. She sings a duet with Manny Potemkin. He may sing one on his own, and then Mel Torme sings another one in the background of, um, you know, uh, when when that montage of like, when, when do we eat? And he's like, that's Mel Torme. Um, and uh, so, like, you know, that you have like, this is another one of, the, like, I think, was it Batman we decided was the first. You know, al- movie to have like an album release. Well, this is a year later. Danny Elfman does it again, where he <laughs> yeah, gets yeah. the soundtrack. It gets, the, it gets the Prince soundtrack, and then you also get the Danny Elfman score. Yeah, and this is here. You get the Madonna stuff, the Stephen Sondheim stuff, and you have uh, this stuff here. Um, other, ca- uh, you know, other the What If game. You had Sharon Stone audition for Breathless Mahoney. Michelle Pfeiffer audition for Breath- Breathless Mahoney. Uh, uh, Kim Basinger uh, audition for Breathless Mahoney. Um, and uh, and a whole you have a whole bunch of other people that were that yeah. were that were put on to do this movie. Well, uh, it was in development for so long. And, that's and that's the problem with one like of these. Oh, so not the problem, but this ends up coming out with stuff. And uh, also at the, in the era of uh, of Clint Eastwood wanting to play the part, you had Richard Gere, Tom Selleck, and Mel Gibson were all yeah, freaking yeah. you know being it. So you're right. You have you have when you have all this time. <laughs> You know, so you go through over thing. decades worth of trying to make this movie. You know, uh, and you know you have cameos. You have Robert Costanza, um, Alan Garfield, Hamilton Camp, John Schluck, Charles Fleischer, uh, who's Charles Fleischer is the uh, voice of Roger Rabbit, uh, Walter uh, Edmiston, we have tons of Neil Ross, uh, Mike Mazuki, who's the who played Spitfire in the original Dick Tracy film. He he was um, he was in it too, and then the ninety four year old veteran actor Ian Wolfe 
this was his last film. Uh, he played uh, Munger. So I don't know who he was in that. Yeah. Whole, whole tons of uh, one cameos. Thing, one thing I do want to say about it, because, you know, I, I mentioned that um, you know, we talked a little bit about maybe some script problems and things, that, you know, storylines that didn't develop. One thing I really appreciated about the movie is that this movie almost plays like the third act of a bigger story. Like, there's no, like, there's there's not really any kind of, like, uh, uh, origin or anything. It's like, we're, we're, like, from frame one, like, we're into this. We hit the we hit the ground running. This is funny you say this because it's like I, I almost paid you to, 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 to say that because uh, um, Max Allen Collins, who's doing been writing for so long hates the the script that they kind of came up with so for the novelization he writes the novelization and he tries to fix as many problems as he can with the script in the novelization and Disney gets mad at him for that so Disney tells him no write it more like the the book or the movie so that it matches so it matches so he goes back has to do another rewrite they take that rewrite and they actually change some of the dialogue and stuff I guess they're doing it at the same time and they take some of his dialogue to, to, to fix some of the stuff he, um, so they use what he writes in the novelization. They actually then use some of that in, in the, the actual movie, movie to try to fix the Try to fix some of the holes. And they do a graphic novel tie-in, which is not done by Max Allen Collins, called uh, Dick Tracy, Tommy Guns, and True Hearts Trilogy. And it is a three-part story that they did uh, as a tie-in for this. And it's great. I own it as well. It's uh, three issues, which now you get in the compendium. And the third one is the Dick Tracy movie. So the first one is called, like, I think, like, Big City Blues. The second one's called, like, um, uh, Tommy Guns, maybe. I forget what the second one's called. And the third one is the the actual novel or the, the comic book. So the three, the three ones, it's not that three comic books lead up to then, like, hey, then the fourth issue is the movie. Three comic books come out, and the third issue is like the movie is adaptation. The, yeah, and what they do is they do the backstory, and then the and they they do a backstory leading up of of who Lips Manilus was, and Lips Manilus is this guy who reigns over this fictional Chicago, and everyone hates him, and 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 uh, Big Boy Caprice taking the guys and saying, hey, let's try to do a coup, and there's other people like BB Eyes who's yeah. not in the sh- movie, in the mole who's not in the movie. These are all these other characters that they, that show up and they do all these different things to lead up to the, to the Dick Tracy movie. So it's kind of ingenious that you have all this backstory, which are two, two them. They're not just issues. They're like, you know, graphic novels. So they're, Mm -hmm. they're kind of big. And, um, and they're also done in the stylization that everyone looks like for the most part, Dick Tracy looks like Warren Beatty, a characterization of him. They kind of look like Madonna. It's very well done. The, uh, the artistry, and it's done very much in the Max Allen Collins and Chester Gould world where it's very dark. You know, people are getting shot, uh, blood everywhere, people are getting thrown out of things, you know. So yeah, it's, yeah. It's, 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 they don't pull any punches. Yeah. You know, so it's very cool. If you're a big fan of this movie, go get the, um, the Tommy Guns and True Hearts trilogy, which came out, you know, it's, it's a big graphic novel and it's, it's all this. Yeah. But I kind of appreciate the movie. It kind of like assumes that you know who Dick Tracy is already. It assumes that you can follow the fact that there's like this rose gallery of weird characters. And they try to set that up as much as they can at the beginning where you see him, like it's like, you know, it's it's him in front of the radio with the badge and you hear the radio saying like about, but there's no dialogue. They don't spend like a half hour on it. It's like, it gets kind of just gets gets it going cooking. It's also the other thing that's interesting about the movie. And maybe one of the reasons why I didn't ultimately, 
I mean, there's still so much more to talk about. There's, it didn't ultimately do as well as they were hoping, is that it's really like a movie geared towards adults. Yeah. Not really kids. I mean, they throw the character of the kid in there to kind of, I guess, you know, have the ki- have children have a character to kind of identify yeah. with. And they're loyal to that because the kid's from the comic. Yeah. So is uh, um, the Tramp character. Um, what's his name? Steve the Tramp, I think his name is. And I remember when, when that when they came out with the toys, there was a huge backlash and they recalled the toy because homeless people were mad that they were putting out this toy and portraying uh, homeless people as villains. So I remember watching the news and, and you know, since we live near, uh, at the time, we lived in the New England area. I remember watching the New York City news and they were doing like Vox Pops of people like in the subways. What do you think about this? And like homeless people were like, I think it's completely, you know, this is, you know, I mean, it is so, you know, you know, uh, Putting us in a bad name, so they recall the 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 Steve the Tramp. Uh, Steve, the, it might be a rare character. It, might be a it rare is figure now. that in the blank because at the time they didn't want. Uh, I I don't know if the blank, if you could take the mask off of the toy, but they held they withheld releasing the blank because they didn't want this the the secret of the end of the movie be revealed. Yeah. So they waited till the movie came out before they put the blank in circulation so that's an extremely rare character the blank they only made like 14 or 16 of them and i don't know if you remember the commercials but the commercials are fucking amazing it is literally this and like uh, i think the real ghostbusters commercials are those toys where it's like they make a new york city yeah, 30s yeah. new york city street <laughs> that where there's the, like steam the, the place that is yeah, like it's no. way better than the freaking you know yeah. it's not way better than your carpet where like <laughs> This is like they have like they have steam coming out of the vents of like the sewers and all this and and it's funny to now as I've always wanted the um the, the they, they came out with actual like roadster cars like the like a black and white and they came out with the bad guy car and I never had them you know, who knows where to get them they were very hard to find and I've always wanted them because I always wanted to play with them and I and I got them one Christmas like three years ago we my wife got them on eBay for me I was like I love you. <laughs> 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 unopened and I opened them up put it together and then I was like under the Christmas tree hammered playing with it <laughs> with this stuff a little too much egg now. yeah I know and it was and it was another cool thing about the toys here is that they all came with realistic weapons you got a Thompson you got a 45 you got like there yeah. wasn't like plasma rifles or fucking uh, Thompson that didn't look I mean it was a like a very accurate looking miniature Thompson yeah, or you yeah. know whatever shotgun or whatever the guy came with like you know like a baseball bat with nails in it you yeah, know it's like yeah. all the, you know they were it was very detailed and the figures themselves were kind of cartoony. They were everybody was bow legged, and they yeah, had that yeah. look of like they were a little yeah, smaller. Yeah. But they had a unique look, which was their faces were very much true to the to the movie. So they would look very much realistic. But you know, they were well. Kind the of, way you know, it's a good tie-in in terms of like the way it was marketed. It's funny because you know. There w- even when they made it, there was like, "This is we're going to start a film franchise with this. This is going to be you like know the it's, first of yeah, many things." You know, and it was like this big thing, and then it came out, and it made you know it's not like it lost money, but it wasn't as big of a hit as they hoped. And one of the reasons why it didn't make as much money as they wanted is because Disney spent a fucking fortune in like hype and advertising. I mean, they put on, like you said, you mentioned the stage show yeah. and the Disney the World, McDonald's campaign, the toys, the McDonald's campaign. They spent all this I mean, movie. That, like, hyped, it, they spent like $50 million to hype the movie, you, which is money that they have to recoup at the box office. And we talked about Batman iconic logos uh, at the time. 
you took the Batman logo, how iconic that is, almost a, a, a pop yeah. design of art. So it's kind of the, remember the Dick Tracy logo yeah. that people had in their shirts, like the silhouette of him, like, you know, against the wall or whatever. That became very iconic and people had shirts of that. I mean, at the time you had all kinds of plugins. You had probably yeah. like Pez dispensers, you had the toys, you had this, they made pseudo radios, anything you can think of, like, like yeah, Viewmasters. The they had, all, but all that stuff takes money. They to, had Nintendo games, Sega games. Remember, I remember playing the Nintendo game was yeah. freaking awesome. You know, uh, it was one of those ones where you'd drive around in the car and you get to a location and you, you know, go to the next scene. You're like, you're interviewing somebody like, and the guy's like, da, 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 and then down the bottom, it's like, you know, I say go to the Spitfire <laughs> club and see, you know, Joe Blow and Vic Manos. Yeah. And you know? then of course, like Beatty went over budget, like almost doubled the budget yeah but, he, but that came out of like there was an agreement that if he goes over budget then that comes out of his fee his his to produce it directed yeah he wanted it. he wanted and he wanted some royalties with it uh and and disney was also so into it that they produced a um i think it was the second roger rabbit short yeah it was yeah. an open yeah uh, was roller coaster rabbit there's uh you know roger rabbit comes out in like 87 or 88 and then in 89 you have uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids come out, and then that has a Roger Rabbit short in it where I think he takes, it's like Roller Coaster Rabbit, where he takes Baby Herman to the amusement park. Yeah. And then this one is, oh, I'm sorry, I just said that. Um, yeah. The, I was like, I'm in the, deja vu. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was having a stroke there. The bling was wrong. I keep on hearing the looping. <laughs> oh, Jesus, and my left arm's going numb. His face is going, that's, we shouldn't joke about anything like that. That's horrible, I'm sorry. Um, the first Honey Shrunk the Kids one, it was about the the pacifier getting stuck in, or the, the, the rattle getting stuck, and they have to go to the hospital. Oh, yeah. You yeah. know, and you get the thing out. The second one is this Roller Coaster Rabbit. And uh, so they, I remember seeing, like I said, in the theater, and they had these two shorts. And these shorts have never been released, but then they came out with a special edition, like they always do of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, that had a disc two, which has since gone out of print, like they do. Yeah. And it had, like, the deleted scenes of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and it had these two shorts on there, which is really hard to get, huh. which is great. Uh, but yeah, they went through they went through such a marketing campaign for this. Uh, it, it comes out in um, they did a they did a premiere at the uh, Walt Disney World Resort in Orlando. It comes out on June fifteenth, nineteen ninety, earning uh, let's see twenty two point four five million the opening weekend. Uh, it's the third uh, highest opening weekend in nineteen ninety. It en it ends up grossing uh, one hundred three point seven four million U.S. sales. And fifty nine million elsewhere, so it's altogether it's one hundred sixty two million seventy four dollars. But when you take into account, not that like sixty two million isn't a, a lot of money, obviously. We take into account that the movie cost fifty million dollars to forty seven million dollars to make or whatever, yeah. and then they spent like over fifty million dollars in promotion. Yeah, they called <laughs> it a flop. They were they they Jerry Katzenberg, uh, who's the this the chairman of Disney, called it a disappointment. But then also. Uh, it, yeah, it cost a hundred million to produce and promote, and then later on, by nineteen ninety-seven, it had grossed another sixty point sixty-one million in rental sales. Yeah, so that so it did get some money back, but they were the problem is they were they were looking at it at last year's Batman. So they wanted it to be as big as Batman. You can't yeah, hold yeah. anything up to that. You I mean, can't. I mean, you Batman can't do Batman. Batman. Well, yeah. So um, you know that's that's kind of sad, but it, it it ends up getting. Oscar nominations, it, it gets a handful of Oscars, and to this day, it is, it gets three, it got, let's see, did it win? I it think won it, three. It won which three. Which is like the most. Uh, uh, it's number one in comic book movies to, to get. In wins. To, to wins, and then the, behind that is The Dark Knight. Because the Sondheim song won best song. Madonna sang it at the Academy Awards that night. Um, and it, then I think it got, it got, uh, 
Let's you see. Know. You got cinematography and you got costume Ma- design. Uh, makeup. Yeah. Uh, original song, makeup, and art direction. Yeah. And then, then it, it got and nominated, they got nominated sorry, for, for cinematography, cinematography, best supporting actor, costume design, sound design, and uh, some other stuff. So, but also then they're looking at, the, you know, Ghost came out the same year. And yeah. Ghost costs, say, like, I don't know, five or ten million. No, not that little but it costs a little yeah, a little in comparison and, and then because it, it, it made a crap load it made yeah. like double or triple this movie and then they're like well we need the recoupers like that and it's like well it's two different animals you can't really you know so it's sad that they uh that they're holding so, out bar. and then so disney decides not to that they're not going to make a sequel and then there's some kind of like and then it goes into some kind of litigation because warren Beatty says he owns the rights to it well what ha- ends up happening is um you know he they want to Warren Beatty. The reason why another reason him being forward thinking is he tries to throw as many rogue gallery villains into the movie because he, he doesn't know if they're going to get a sequel. So he wants to put as many people as possible in, but he's planning on it to be like an installment series. Like they're going to like, you know, it's going to be like an Indiana Jones, which would be really fucking cool. But because of this, um, they think it's disappointing in the box office. They don't end up doing anything. So, uh, come like the two thousands, uh, the Tribune Network, who who owns the original, I guess, like the comic strip and all that, they start trying to do a develop a live action show, much like Smallville, where they're gonna fucking you know, or Gotham, where it's gonna be like an earlier version. They're gonna have all fifteen year olds in it, you know, uh, and it's gonna be a contemporary setting and, and and stuff like that. But Warren Beatty's like, no, I own I own the stuff, and then they try to strong arm Warren Beatty, and they they start doing like. Uh, they start trying to do, you know, all kind of stuff like, no, screw you. And they start going forward. So he goes and gets like a court, uh, like conjunction or something yeah. saying like, you know, they need to cease and desist and we need to go to court. And then in 2008, he does a, for, with Lynn Moulton for Turner Classic Movies, yeah. he does the Dick Tracy TV special. Which is on YouTube. Really? Yeah. So uh, we can, we have we'll, to click, we'll I've never seen it, but, uh, he Leonard Mullen interviews him as Dick Tracy having the retrospective interview. So it's that's, that's, that's I don't know. It's, it's weird. very I I actually watched it in preparation. So it's what the good thing about it is that it it supplies some history about Dick Tracy and the various incarnations in different media. Uh, the bad part is that he interviews Warren Beatty playing Dick Tracy, <laughs> and it's a little cheesy. There's a lot of pop. There's a lot of familiar faces. In like bit parts in it, you know, like uh, the mother in the Goldbergs is yeah. in it, and uh, so it's very cheesy. It's a half hour long, um, but uh, there are definitely there's definitely information in it that is is totally worthwhile if you want to watch it. Which we'll so we'll put a link to it on our website when yeah with the, cast. with the cast. So they so they end up he does that in 2008, and then by 2011, you know. Uh, you know, God bless Warren Beatty because he had the money and the wherewithal to do this. He takes them to court saying, no, I've been 85. I bought the rights. They're still mine. The, and the, the Tribune company tried to ignore him. He forced him to court. And then in 2011, so we're getting really near yeah, us. Yeah. In 2011, a district court judge sides with Beatty and says, yes, they are still his uh, rights. And uh, since he commenced with principal photography of this 2008 Turner Classic Movie Special, it shows he's still doing things with the, you know, yeah. he's still trying right. to, you know. Sneaky. It's like with the, yeah. it's like when we talked, when we did the Fantastic Four. The reason why that the Fantastic Four movie Roger Corman's produced is because somebody owned the rights. They needed to do something with it. Or they'll revert back. Rights. Yeah. And this is, that's why this last Fantastic Four movie that, that 
crashed that came out so quickly because they didn't want the rights to then revert back to Marvel. So they needed to hang on to them. So they freaking greenlit a movie and they put it out in the dawn of night. You know, no one saw the damn thing. You know, it's a bunch of freaking 12-year-olds playing, (laughs) you know, the Fantastic Four. So uh, in 2011... uh, Warren Beatty succeeds, and he and he gets the rights, and he says finally he says in June 2011 that he's he's intention is to make a sequel to Dick Tracy, and just no no other no, nothing really Starring else has Ryan come up with Gosling. that. I'm making that rule. Why not? Why not? <laughs> you know, it'd be him right out of uh, freaking what do you call that Gangster Squad? So that's really exciting that they uh, that you know if he's really trying to you know do it, and um, I mean, uh, I guess uh, another. Well, I'll get to that, but but it's it's a testament to see that like, I wonder how they do it now, and it's and like we were saying before, you know, oh, it would be well, you know, it's funny because you know the thing that when you brought up Sin City, there is a very like this is totally, and I like Sin City. Well, it's I mean, because not all, not all of it. It's know. because of this movie that Sin City got made, it, or Hellboy got made, or Road to Perdition got made. It's like these non or Ghost World, but even stylistically, you know, like aside from yeah. aside from like the fact that Sin City is mostly black and white, other than like the flashes of color, like there's t- like it's Dick Tracy is totally like stylistically a very much like a predecessor of what Robert Rodriguez then does with Sin City and then of course like the sequel yeah Frank Miller and them are just that it's you know Sin City it's it's a complete testament to like you could take a frame of Sin City and look at it match it up to like a a panel in the comic and that's all because of the I guess the green screening and making it but it's you're right Dick Tracy idea of like creating this comic book world in a very stylized way and even if you were to compare frames, I think, of Sin City and Dick Tracy, the two movies, even though they're like a decade apart or more even. Yeah. Like, you know, and one's really... Ut- 15 years, I think, and the first one, of 2005. And one's utilizing CGI and the other one's not. It's still like you could see that there is like... there, There's like a... There's a relationship there. There's totally like... You can see like where it comes from. So even watching it now as someone who enjoys the Sin City movies, like watching this now, whereas the last time I saw it, like a Sin City movie was, you know, not even a fucking sperm and, a, yeah. and Robert Rodriguez <laughs> well, Frank <laughs> Dick, Miller. and Frank Miller's uh, nutsack. This is, uh, you know, it's, it's, really, it's really interesting to see it like kind of now with that frame of reference. Yeah. Um, it's it just got so much going on. And, and I think that the, maybe... The, one of its problems is the movie has so much going on that that's why it's overwhelming for people. Like, you know, and just there's just such little things. Like at the beginning of the movie when they're all playing cards, like all those villains are like really heavy villains from this, you know, and they are very much the villains that you see, I said, in that those prequel comic that Little books. Face is named Little Face instead of like Big Head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it, in that opening scene. Like, the, again, because it's pre-CGI, they had to like, for for the scenes with the other actors, they had to put a child in that outfit yeah. and have his face be there. But then when they cut to the close-up of Little Face, it's actually a huge fucking head with a real guy. You know, so it's like, you yeah, know, so, yeah. It's, it's so yeah, it's all, it's all these little... You know all these little things, but they're all true to to, to the um, to Elliot uh, Elliot Gould to Chester Gould's <laughs> story, and uh, even little known fact, yeah, yeah, Elliot Gould, Chester Gould, same guy. Uh, and then at the, you know even at the beginning of it, with like you know them get the card game, it's like uh, you know he gets aces and eights, and ace and eights, as everyone knows, is like the dead man's hand that Bill Hickok, Wild Bill Hickok, got before he got shot in the back. You know, so it's like there's all these little like uh, cute fun things in it, and like I love like you know. 
the end of it with the whole big shootout, it's very much a, a, a throwback to like, you know, Warner Brothers, Angels with Dirty Faces, where like the whole shootout takes place at the top of the nightclub and same here, thing here, and they're going to shoot their way out. Very much like James Cagney would do or Edward G. Robinson with Thompson's blaring and nobody, uh, you know, nobody reloads their, their guns, you know. Yeah. It's just, you know, Thompson's blazing and it's, what, it's so cool. Yeah, one of the things that I noticed and uh, is something to look for when you go back and if, if you go back and watch it is the scene where it's when Warren Beatty is like on the the ledge when the car blows he's watching the the, the uh, and he goes to like run away and he and the stunt man jumps from the ledge onto like the the pole the pole down. and it's like the stunt man like fucking smacks his face <laughs> it's like the most brutal like unpretty stunt i've ever seen well you know what like he he goes to jump on the bullet it looks like that guy probably just really fucked yeah, himself yeah, up bro- broke his nose <laughs> Uh, we're talking about getting <laughs> fucked up. Vic, Dick Van Dyke only worked on the film for three days, and then in the scene where he gets killed, he I, I, I try and I I read this before we watched it, and I tried to figure out how when he in the scene where he actually gets killed, he broke his shoulder, and it's the shot they use. So, so I don't know. He falls down. Yeah, he, yeah. He gets shot, and he falls onto the bed, and then he falls onto the ground. Like he bounces on the bed, and falls on. The ground. I don't know how it happened, but he broke his shoulder doing well, that. He's, he's, you he's, know, I mean, he's no spring. You know, now he's ancient. Yeah. But even then, he was no spring. No, he was. He was in his freaking. You know, in his seventies. That's right before diagnosis murder. You know, but it's like you know. So he broke. He broke his shoulder doing that scene. They're like, hey, yeah, let's use that fucking thing. <laughs> well, you know, I found it really interesting too that uh, Breathless Mahoney, her character. Uh, must have the same uh, uh, mail order catalog that Princess Leia had to, to get the voice. Box. Oh, I, that, that was, <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> that was, that's funny you bring that up because I was I wanted to talk about that, but I forgot about it. Yeah, spoiler alert: totally like, Breathless Mahoney's the blank. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, like it's totally like the way she talk. The the blank talks. It's like totally like uh, when Princess Leia is it's like idiot. Yeah, yeah, it's carbonite poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> your, your eyesight will return to you and die. Yeah, it's all, you know, it's very much like uh, Breathless Mahoney. If she takes it off, it's like, fucking Breathless Mahoney, who are you? I can see through your freaking thing. Uh, yeah, so there's a lot of, there's all all kinds of stuff going on in here. And then, so it's just, I don't know. It's, I feel like this, not so much like uh, Rocketeer, but this has certainly fallen through the cracks of the annals. Of, you know, with a with a cast that's as big as like you know you have all these freaking people in it. You know, uh, it's just I mean, there's 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 scores and you forget like Ed O'Ross. Remember him? He's the bad guy. He's itchy. He's the bad guy in freaking Red Heat. You know, he's in it. And uh, Henry Silva's in there. The guy that you love that had the big fight with uh, Frank Sinatra in 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 Canada. He plays influence and uh, that's the know, thing is like there's all foresight. These, you know, there's all these people in it, but they're all these people that at the time like our parents would have remembered, not us. Yeah, you know, we said Kathleen O'Hara. You know, uh, James Caan. The know, guy who plays Paul Savino. Uh, the guy who's like you know with the ears, who's the bug, who's listening to the yeah, but his name is Bug something. He's a bug. Yeah, guy. that he, guy is. He's from Bo- Bonnie and Clyde. He's from Bonnie, but he's also he was he's in an episode of Star Trek. He was yeah, yeah. he's in uh, four of the Apocalypse, the Lucio Fulci oh, yeah, movie, he and he's yeah. best known in you know my tender you know t- Tango and Cash. <laughs> yeah, which is the same time, isn't it? Well, Tango Cash has to be a little, at least a little, maybe? a little bit earlier than that. But yeah, he's working. He was the guy that rats out um, 
Bonnie and Clyde. He turns over state's evidence to, to then that's how they find him in the big shootout at the end. And, and that's funny. Back in the day, was that how they really like they'd have the big old physical microphone? You know, like you know that's how they bug places. You know, it's yeah. so crazy that there's some guy would be hanging out out there listening and transcribing everything and like radioing it away. I mean, uh, Macaulay Culkin tried out for the role of the kid, but then he went to do Home Alone, and uh, yeah. I've never seen him in anything else. They referenced a Jessica Lange movie he was in before. The kid? Yeah, the kid. Oh, he's in a ton of shit. And man. then I saw he's him in Hook. I saw him in What About Bob? He's in What About Bob? He's in Hook. Is he in Who's He in Hook? He's the he's like the oh, kid. Oh, he's the kid in Hook? <laughs> oh, you're right. I never I only thought about of him in this movie and What About Bob? I never No, he's in Hook. And then as like a teenager, he's in Can't Hardly Wait. Oh uh, my god, he is. He, I didn't even think yeah, of that. This he guy's grew in up. tons of shit, man. You know, you know he but, at that age, the reason they had an, they had a world or na- nationwide audition to find this child and they ended up finding him and the reason why they liked him was be that at that age i don't know what is he like eight or ten he's or he already uh finished his requirements for his high school mathematics skills like he'd already finished all the stuff so he was like a, a genius at the time huh so uh interesting yeah so um Beatty hired so what, they didn't need to give him schooling on set that's why they <laughs> no the Beatty hired him because he was so intelligent for his age so he was you know it was another one of these things where he didn't have to worry about talking to him what movie did we just do maybe it was Jennifer Connelly you know oh, yeah, didn't yeah. have to worry about talking to him as a child he understood things and uh, what's his face said uh, Warren Beatty said the bond with him he took him up to his house to watch the Super Bowl together and they hung out and they kind of got together and you know it was real nice of Warren you know him Warren Madonna are hanging out <laughs> <laughs> It's freaking awesome. Well, you're hot. You know, and doesn't Warren show up in, uh, remember the movie she made? She made the, um, she she did like a semi-documentary on her tour. Oh, uh, yeah, she's in the Truth or Dare. Truth or Dare, he's think, in that because it, cause they, because they, um, they, it laps over. It's the same time she was doing, she just finished Dick Tracy, so he's like hanging out with her there. You know, he's kind of getting, probably getting uh, sick of her at that point. <laughs> you know, because they, were, they weren't together that much longer. And she's been, he's been married to, what's her face for? A long time. Uh, yeah, since then. And that banging since, since then. Uh, so there's just so many people in this, you know. And I, I completely forgot Paul Savino was in this freaking movie. Uh, I've got a weird story with Paul Savino where I, um, uh, there's a show I work on. And uh, it's a business show uh, on TV. And, and Paul Savino comes on quite a bit. And there's this other woman who comes on named Dee Dee Bernanke. And she'd come on a lot. And she's a political commentator. And the two of them met together on the show I work on. And now they're married. And uh, he's, a, he, he's a funny guy. Because then I'll talk to him about, like, obscure shit. Like, I love gin uh, cruising. And he talks talking about, you know, it's like the time, like, uh, I, Robert Davi, is is in the green room. I mean, and this producer are talking about freaking Joe Spinell, and he goes, "You do just say Joe Spinell," <laughs> and we're like, "Yeah, we're talking about Joe. Sp- you know Joe Spinell?" He's like, "Of course I know Joe Spinell. I work with him on an episode of The Equalizer." <laughs> it's like, oh, "Okay, that's so weird. It's just, it's just so funny." So yeah, I love uh, freaking Paul Sorino. Great guy. Uh, I'm I too a fan of Paul Sorino. He's you know. in one of my favorite Van Damme movies. <laughs> uh, no, what was that movie called? And he's also in the Rocketeer. He plays he's in like, the Rocketeer. You know, so it's like, there's all these little you forget about these huge movies for, for our childhood. Off. He's in Knockoff with wow. uh, John Claude Van Damme and Rob Schneider. Is he? Uh, how big of a role is he? Is he doing? Guy. Is he doing kung fu in it? At the end? No, he's, <laughs> <laughs> he's not doing kung fu. Because if they did that nowadays, I wonder if they'd Christopher Lee. It. Remember Christopher Lee in the Star Wars movies? Suddenly Christopher yeah. Lee's like a Jedi. Like holy <laughs> shit, he's eighty years old. He's jumping around. It's like I, I knew it the whole time from the Hammer movies. You know. So I didn't know if, you know, suddenly Paul's at, you know, some guy with a mustache and a fat suit or something. (laughs) 
<laughs> Van Damme. That would have been awesome. You know, all of a sudden he knows. Under, like, an underrated Van Damme movie. Directed by Sui Hark, who's a, you know, a big uh, Hong, Hong Kong uh, kung fu uh, director. Nobody knows that movie, but I, I you, love you that love movie. all the Van Damme. Is that the? Was, does he have a twin in that? <laughs> There's no twin or clone. Okay, because <laughs> I know one. that's like clutch to, to the Van Damme lineage that he has. But there is there is the Rob Schneider comic relief, a la, yeah. a la Judge Dredd. Yeah, he had a, and uh, Demolition Man. He, <laughs> he had he had it going on there for a minute. Uh, I feel like there's so much more that, to talk about with this movie. Like we didn't get to, but I don't know. I feel like we've gotten to everything. I mean, we didn't really go into the plot, but the plot's kind of basic. Yeah, it's the going plot's against kind the, of basic. You know, we got we, we, got we mentioned the bit. yeah the the thing the the Elfman the stuff. This, it, there's a resolution in the end. The soundtrack's great. Uh, all the bit parts all the guys in it um yeah i mean it's just all you know all kinds of stuff going this very, on this is a back this was a background show yeah whereas i feel you know i feel like something like last week's uh or two weeks ago's uh breakfast club was much more you know obviously we talked about the background and the casting and everything we talked a lot more about like the plot and what it means whereas this one's more like you know we got to set the table with dick tracy and then you know it was a lot about the making of and so you didn't you didn't feel bad I, I this time around I really kind of felt bad for breathless at the end because at the end she's just looking you know she's I she's, just felt like you know like I just didn't get it yeah. I didn't get like you know like I, when you explain it I'm like oh yeah I guess I can see that but it's like she is such a small yeah character in the movie like you don't like okay you understand that she doesn't want to uh she doesn't want to testify because she's afraid but I don't know. It's just like I feel like it's she's such a minor character in the scheme of like the plot that it was just like there was no, you know what? It, it was one of those things where it's like everything gets glazed over, so that like at least for me as a viewer, like I didn't really care about any of it. Well, I think it's because there's so many people in it. You know, it's like there's just yeah, so there's much just going like, on. There's, there's too many. It's there's, almost a, there's, t- there's too much eye candy. It's like you, it's hard to get attached. Yeah. And so, like, I didn't buy that relationship. I didn't get, like, the other than that she's hot, which is, like, what does that say about Dick Tracy as a character? I mean, other than that, I guess he's fucking human. But, like, as, like, as a hero, it's, like, I don't get what the cotton, like, I don't get, like, a love triangle. Like, he clearly is in love with the other chick. Who is in a lot of shit? Also, if you look at that, she was. I just wa- was watching Mr. Holland's Opus. Oh, yeah, she's yeah. in that. She's in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Yeah, um, she's great in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. It just was like it was like a love train. It was like a love story that just like didn't, in my personal opinion, it just like didn't yeah. work. Like there was no payoff to it. Really, there was no there was no development of it. Um, and then that is, you know, it is what it is. I mean, it's not like I'm not, you know, look, I'm not watching Dick Tracy to be like to analyze it. I don't remember for, for like, <laughs> you know, it's it's dramatic arc and like dramatic structure and like narrative arc and it's, yeah, you know, it's just, it's it was Dick like, Tracy I, on like TV. I, yeah, it was, it was like screen. it was like I said, it was like to be honest, like I enjoyed it way more than I thought I was going to. I, I don't remember if it was a big like surprise at the end if in the theater when I saw it. That she was, yeah. That she's spoiler the blank, alert, <laughs> you know. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! They, they like take her. They take her mask off. I don't off. remember. I don't remember. I mean, I would imagine it was supposed to be. No, I don't. But I, I know. But I don't remember if I was like, "Holy shit!" When I was little, like I remember. There's certain things I think we said in did this. Did you actually get to see the end of this movie? When I you did, saw it at the I theater. Did, I, did. <laughs> I saw it twice. I saw it twice this time. Your dad actually stayed for the whole movie. Yeah, I didn't. Did I see it with my father? <laughs> no, I didn't. Maybe see it that's with my why you got to watch the whole. Yeah, movie. Yeah. No. No. <laughs> 
I know. He, <laughs> he, only, he never even found out <laughs> who the blank was. <laughs> How bad is that? And so now, all these years later, I didn't. You know, wait, didn't wait. Know, what? You know? What do you say? You divulged too that you you didn't you didn't see the beginning of a lot of movies. I didn't see yeah, which you, I think were more because I the only ones my father walked me out of movies was the end of Return of the Jedi and then the end of RoboCop. And RoboCop was because it was a it was an editorial call on him. He was like, this is... It was after the scene when, when what's-his-face... Uh, Gets hit by Ma- the car Miguel, and explodes. No, no, no. Yeah, right at the end. <laughs> like, all right, this is a little yeah. too high. <laughs> after everything. No, when Miguel Ferrer is blow, doing blow-off those girls' tits, <laughs> he's like, this is a little too much for you. You know, this, this is a little... You know, I, Interesting. You know, because, I, I mean, the, the, the scene where they crucify... Uh, um, What's his face? Um, uh, Murphy. Yeah. You know, that, that scarred me for years. You know, I couldn't watch that again, that, the, the deleted or the, the extended scene of them blowing his hand off and all yeah, that stuff. We missed the, yeah. I don't know why we were always late. I don't know if it was my fault, my mom's fault, traffic's fault. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I always missed a lot. I always missed the beginning with a lot of movies. Teen, yeah. Like I said, Teen Wolf, I didn't see the beginning of. We missed <laughs> the beginning of the, Howard the Duck, which we'll talk about when we ever eventually get to the movie Howard the Duck. Uh, um, be forever, I didn't see, I didn't know the, I'd had, I hadn't seen the beginning of like Die Hard until like we were in college wow. <laughs> uh, yeah so it's it's i think did, he was did, always already at like the the, the, the nakatomi plaza <laughs> he was already at nakatomi plaza every time I not really, he's it. just he, he's, he's the party was going on um i think there's a joke also in here that you could do on like an adult swim or what's the name of that that show uh uh robot chicken where it's like you know how madonna's the blank but It'd be funny if, like, you know, Mandy Potemkin's like, Jesus, you're fucking hot. <laughs> like, you know, she's, she's still in, like, one of those, you know, like, really, like, tight-ass outfits. And she's just like, wow, my God, this is, you know, you're hot as balls. Yeah. You know, so it kind of gives away who she is halfway through the movie. And it was good to see Mandy Potemkin. I love Mandy Potemkin. Oh, he's great. He's great in this movie, too. I mean, there's people you it's forget. It's so weird when you hear him sing because, like, you just totally don't <laughs> expect, like, that voice to come out of him. I actually saw Mandy Potemkin in concert. And, it, I mean, you know, he's known for, it's it's. You know, it's funny, and I wonder if he was one of the reasons why they considered him to play the part is because he's kind of known for singing Sondheim music. Like, oh. He's one of the, like the people that's often connected to like the music of Sondheim in a way. And so I wonder if that's one of the reasons why he got cast. But Did he do um, any songs from this movie since they are Sondheim and he does uh, sing If them? he did, I wouldn't have remembered. Um, with he, he did you know, a th- couple of things that he did do. It's completely fucking off, off track here. Talking about a man at a concert from 10 years ago. Uh, he did Cats in the Cradle. Okay. Which was beautiful. Yeah. And he did uh, Not Easy Being Green. Interesting. And how how did this become? You just like let me go see Mandy Patinkin. Yeah, he doing like dad, a, my, uh, I know my dad is into Sondheim and Mandy Patinkin and. I was like, you know, he's playing here. I mean, it's New York City, so you can see. I was, like, you I was like, come on up, <laughs> let's go see Manny Vitenkin. Um, very uh, into tra- into model trains. It's one of those guys. I know. Yeah, him and Sinatra. It's freaking awesome. Sinatra, uh, Neil Young. Neil Young owns like Lionel. Rod Stewart. I think Neil Young like actually like either th- either has finally said it publicly or like the late like, Gary a fake Coleman. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Neil Young also, he actually owns, I think, all of Lionel. He has yeah, like yeah. The, maybe, the, or he owns 51 shares of the Lionel Corporation, you know. And I'm the only guy you're ever going to find who has the Frank Sinatra. <laughs> which we've watched. Which we watched. <laughs> I have the Frank Sinatra. Sleep- <laughs> There's a sleepover. <laughs> There's a sleepover. Yeah, no, one will, no one will download there. Uh, 
the 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 exploration of Frank Sinatra's model train collection yeah. released by Lionel on video on a DVD. Yeah, in his later in his later years, he 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 designed like a whole like freaking chateau outside on his grounds and inside it, it looks like a caboose these, car. And then inside, it's like every model train you can conceive of. And, just, and there's like some guy whose job. He's hired, whose job is just to take care of his final train collection. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> Frankie! <laughs> uh, that's Frankie's name. <laughs> Joey! Come Joey, over. fire him up. I'm <laughs> yeah. coming in. Yeah, it's like 7 o'clock at night. I Get just woke going. up. I just woke up, Joey. Um, you know, we talk about the Warren Beatty battle. and um, The Warren Beatty battle. It's a shame because in 2005, um, Brian Bendis uh, and artist Mike Oming wanted to do a uh, Dick Tracy revamp and do like a new Dick Tracy comic and because of the battle that was going on with Warren Beatty you know they they were not they weren't able to and I wonder if it's because they were right in the middle of litigation maybe Beatty would have been fine with it but that since yeah. he was in the middle of litigation because this other show in the same year 2005 wanted to do the uh the Smallville-esque show was a, yeah that would have been such a what is it like teenage in, in modern times too it would have you would have lost all that element it would have been just it looked like one of those you know, like UPN or not UPN or, you know, yeah. Pix 11 or whatever you call yeah, that yeah. channel 11 show or, you know, Warner brothers, WB CW CW kind of shows. It'd be one of them. So, but I mean, you know, small will avail one for a uh, ran for like 10, 10 years. years. Yeah, so. like that. And it had so. a real loyal audience. I know a lot of people I work with loved it. You know, they, yeah, they I never watched home. it. I, I watched like flash you know. and arrow and stuff. So, uh, but this, you know, but <clears throat> like we said, because of Dick Tracy, you got all those kind of like non superhero esque kind of su- super, uh, art, uh, comic book movies, which you know, I mean, like the Shadow. Well, Phantom, you know, well, be Batman. You know, because, you know, but Batman partially but, because of Batman. Yeah, <laughs> but Dick Tracy was not. But it, it showed that a non-superhero movie, like Batman's a superhero. Dick Tracy is a, you know, he's a, it's a comic book, but he's yeah, not a superhero. But like the Rocketeer, you know. And, well, that was after and the Shadow. Are, you know what I mean? Are superheroes? Yeah, but, yeah, but it's because of. You know this movie. Like, God damn it! You know, you know, it's like uh, you know you might not have ever had like a Hellboy or like a Road to Perdition or you know those kind of yeah, or yeah. Sin City. You know because of you know this movie or like a you know I guess you wouldn't say Ninja Turtles, but uh, you know uh, and you know who I love in it too that the guy who plays numbers. What's his face? Uh, James uh, Tolkien. Tolkien, who's, you know, we know him as Strickland from Back to the Future. He's in Top Gun. You know, I think he's got a great little character in there as numbers because you always see him playing the same guy. He's always like a prick. He he was, he's in a couple 70s movies. I think he's like in Prince of the City as a cop. And then you see him like in, he's in Master of the Universe. He's in Top Gun. He's in Back to the Future. He's always playing an authoritative like prick. And this movie, he's like he's like acting. He's he's like, he play. will eventually be be, be sad at alumni. Alumni because because eventually we're gonna get to, to all his all his, <laughs> his, his you know. mass of the universe. We'll get to probably some spectacular Back, epic, to, the future, Back to the Future or Top Gun at some point. To the two to two taper Prince of the City. But I loved him in it. And like there's so many little things in this movie, like the scene where they're trying Which to is, it's funny sorry to interrupt you, but it's funny that this is the first movie that we did with with him with, in it. With <laughs> like the other ones. I wonder if he's in anything else. We just didn't pay him pick him up anyway, on. So I'm sorry. Oh no, but I like the scene. There's just so much little business in the movie like this yeah, his name's numbers, so you know he's all about accounting. So there's the scene when they're trying to buy Dick Tracy off in the basement of that of that hotel uh, the brownstone. And uh they have the envelope and they have they give the envelope they go to give him the money in the the envelope. The elastic flips off, and he catches the elastic. And it's like, you know, that was like a take. He had to do with that a couple times to get that in the right take. And out, or Warren Beatty like looks at him like, you know, and he, when he's sizing up if he should take the deal or not. You know, I loved all that. 
you know. I don't know. And I thought everybody did great, the performances. You know, I thought everyone was a tour de force. Everyone's acting their fucking yeah, hearts well, out. Yeah, well, you know. You know. I, I think Al Pacino's a little bit over the top. But yeah, I'm but just, it's but a, understandable. And, understandable. You know, it's at the time. The, given you know, the character. And at the same time, it, I think, you know, if you it's look at... It's the beginning of... That's what I'm saying. It's the beginning of... Give me what you got. Yeah, I wonder if you get... This is the this is where it comes. I think if it comes out of here, like he channeled... Talk about Madonna. Yeah, he channeled all that 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 frequency and volume into this character and that opens the door for all those over you know over the top performances which i think we were fine with of the, in the time but then they just got to the point where every like around devil's advocate where every role he's yeah. doing was just him like oh, yeah, you know, ah! <laughs> you know <laughs> don't waste my motherfucking time or you know uh, you know yeah you know but here you know i just everybody i think is just with when they have their like even like dustin hoffman i, I love that part where he he stops being mumbles and he he tells them the truth and all that. You yeah, know? yeah, that's that's a great moment. You know, it's all like, so there's so there's so many little moments in this movie that are great, but then I think we're determining that in the bigger picture, there's just so much eye candy going on. It kind of just spoils stuff, and then stuff sadly goes under the rug and it's underdeveloped, and you kind of lose these kind of. Yeah, it's a shame. You know, you know, it's it's got. I do. I will say it's got a lot going for it. I mean, then, they even had model work in it. You know, yeah. too, that they had... The, oh, yeah, like you miniatures know, and stuff. They had the dip- like I said, it's like a tour de force of like what they could accomplish. I mean, at the end of the movie, that whole scene with the toll bridge going up and that, that uh, whatever is that, the boat going underneath, that's a complete huge model that they had to do. And then the train sequence where the kid runs in front of the speeding train, that's a that's a two-foot-high train, and it's a 100, 150 feet long train they got. So they said two that, feet high, and they got a kid that was six inches tall. <laughs> For his perspective, <laughs> and they said that uh, that thing weighed a ton in real life, and there was a thing where they had to they got it for some collector of the train. It was the guy they bought it from the set director of Silver Spoons. Yeah, it was, who the, had tra- to, it was the train <laughs> that the dad would drive around. ride around on. <laughs> and uh, they had to they had some elaborate thing with like the smoke coming out, the puffs of smoke, and then they had to do it slow enough. Because a miniature, you always have to like speed speed the camera up so it slows it down. So they had an issue with the uh, the smoke coming out and the wheels turning. So they had to pull the thing, and it's the same thing at the end where you can't slow down water. Yeah. So a lot of problems with miniatures and water. You can't, you know, a, a, a drop of water is still going to look like a drop of water, no how small or big it is. Yeah. So they had to figure out a way around. Um, doing the water there so they got an idea where if they put like the plexiglass you use like for shower doors and shine it yeah. right it'll look like it's it's kind of like rippling you know so that's how they got around so it's like a so lot of figure speeding things up or slowing things down you know it was like I, I enjoyed even though it's like a total stylized thing and it draws attention to itself and it doesn't even really look great but it's a very retro thing is like during the fight scenes where they clearly just like either optically printed the punches to be faster or just snipped out frames like old school so it looks like a, it looks like it's sped up which is like totally like reminiscent of those serials and like older cinema where they would just do that to make the the punches like kind of look meaner so even though it was like it was a little bit cheesy like i appreciated it because it was very retro and kind of it was like, very and then those those sound effects of the punches are like Doosh! like it's like really like not like a it's like yeah. it, they're like hitting like meat, you know. <laughs> you know, it's really like loud, like douche, douche, you know. So, all right, uh, one out of five. I think I'd give this a solid three, three point five. Really, I'd go with like yeah. a two. 
Yeah, I think it's got its heart there. Like I said this wasn't, you, you know, know, you certainly, you, I mean, definitely it's a movie that you have more nostalgia for than I do. Yeah. Um, so, but, you know, you know, I give it maybe two, two and a half. I think it su- succeeds on uh, on the levels it sought out to bucket set on. Bucket of pizzas. Yeah, mine sleepover stars. Grant said two buckets of pizza. That's still a lot of pizza. Yeah, fuck <laughs> a lot of pizza. Or even one is a lot of pizza. I think the, yeah, so, uh, but you can't, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's a conundrum but yeah. with the grading for us. <laughs> Don't think about it too hard. Uh, I've taken, but, but if so, that they should be honored to get one bucket of pizza because that's a shitload of pizza. <laughs> one out of five. So the potential is five. Like, so la- last week you gave breakfast to five out of five. That's, that's like a, that's, that's feeding the whole crew. <laughs> that's feeding an army, <laughs> an army of people. That's like they're just they're parachuting buckets in. <laughs> you know, it's it's like Red Cross relief. They're they're parachuting buckets of pizza in. <laughs> Here comes the bucket of pizza, everybody. <laughs> this movie, this movie only got one out of five, so we're only getting one bucket. Shit, still, it'll still serve ten. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, so that so we're serving like twenty five people in this. This is great. Two point five. Uh, it's I'll, a flawed system. Yeah. Just go with it. <laughs> I'll give it three, three, four, five sleepover stars because you know it's 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 on its way. You know, going someplace. And I don't know. You know, it's an unanswered question to me as of this. This is did did. Warren Beatty help or hurt the movie? I mean, certainly it, it, he helped it because it, without him, it wouldn't have got made. But should he have not cast himself in it? And I don't know. It's, or it's, should it's, he not have directed it? Yeah, you know, or should he just been in it and not directed it? You know, that's a good, that's a good question. So, uh, but again, you know, the other we'll s- never know. Yeah, the, I mean, he's, he's still alive. We can ask him. Of life. <laughs> but well, uh, Warren, did you hurt or, or help the movie? Yeah. <laughs> and I'd love to see at the end, you know, if he's able to come out with some other ones. I mean, I certainly, I think he'd be too old to play the character, but maybe he can play. I think into it's it. a good. T- you know what? With all the stuff that's going on, I think it's prime time for another. I mean, some, they just announced some other Dick Tracy. Robert Rodriguez is freaking doing a Johnny Quest movie, which I'm over the moon about. I can't wait for that shit if it's done. I've been saying for years since I guess I'll finally say it now publicly on on acetate that, <laughs> that on because, wax. <laughs> because little do you know that this is how we record the show. Yeah, we all record right, it on straight straight to LP. Sh- yeah. Yeah, straight to LP we do. We were cutting. We were looking over, and there's a needle cutting the wax right now as we're talking. Um, so there's a lot of people that have to turn that record over really quick, <laughs> you know, every 20 minutes. Uh, that I always said for years, they should do a Dick Tracy movie in the style of like uh, Sin City, where it's like maybe completely like on a black screen or blue screen, but they use the Dick Tracy primary colors, like the old original Johnny Quest Hanna Barbera series was. So maybe yeah. he's going to do that. And they just did a write up, which we posted on our Facebook. Which is page. really what they should have done with the spirit instead of make it the black the, and you white know, thing. Again. Yeah, I don't understand. I, that, that's that's another uh, s- question that'll be never answered. I have a huge amount of respect for Frank Miller and all he's done. And then you see Frank Miller, like he co-directs the Sin City movies with Robert Rodriguez so that he can say that he kept the movie as loyal as possible. We know that Will Eisner, the guy who invented the spirit, uh, he has a huge admiration for. There's a book that much like the Hitchcock Truffaut or those other books or um, what's his face? Peter Bogdanovich and and, uh, Orson Welles where he interviews uh, Eisner. So, you know, he's got he's he's up Eisner's ass where he like loves him to death. But then he goes and does the movie and he completely bastardizes he doesn't take the creative you know that that made the spirit the spirit those primary colors and he turns into like sin city with the spirit yeah. in it and it's kind of like what the hell are you doing so I, that, you know and he directed that himself uh frank miller so it's like i don't understand why he would go do that yeah you think and he'd he, keep and it as the, i was gonna say i was gonna <coughs> say you know that could be one of those things that maybe you know the, there was like some kind of higher up interference that 
made it go that way because they easily could have been done with i mean like it's all that shit in some post so yeah. they could have been i like, wonder that if... could have been the intention but frank miller's the kind of guy that would fucking bad mouth the studio if they made him do that you know what i mean like frank miller's not the kind of guy that keeps his mouth shut when, when he's not happy about how he's being treated or whatever so i wonder knows? if it has something to do with you know since sin city the 2005 movie was a success and then what year did the um uh, that other movie with Angelina Jolie come out. The the Sky Captains. Remember the Sky? Oh yeah, yeah. That was basically. I don't remember if that was before Sin City or after. That it was basically the kind of the same movie in a sense where it's they're doing stuff with rear projection and then you're adding in a lot of like that. Uh, is it Max Fleischer, the Superman style yeah. style of the, the cartoon? Robot yeah, which stuff. I freaking love that movie. But that movie kind of flopped, sadly. And it was yeah. like, that was great. It was very art deco. Well, like, <laughs> you know, this movie set in Dick Tracy. My opinion of that movie, I haven't, that's another movie I haven't seen since the movie theater. But my opinion of that movie is like, if you just cut like a second out of every shot of that movie, it would, like the movie would just move a lot faster. Yeah. And like, it would have been a much better movie. But I did enjoy it. I just felt it was like a little too slow. It was just, and it felt like, it had so much going for it, so I wonder if that movie flopped. Then maybe the studio was like, "No, you're going to do it." Like Sin City, because yeah. Sin City is a success. But maybe I don't Who know. Knows? So check us out our web. Check us out. Check out our website. Check out our Facebook page. Check out <coughs> our uh, Twitter page. Check out us. We're on iTunes. We're on Player FM. We're on um, Stitcher. Stitcher. We're on a whole bunch of stuff. All those streaming things. Yeah, whatever thing you're streaming. Aggregates. However you get your podcast, there's a pretty good chance that we're you can find us there. Yeah. If not, always come to our website. We're gonna have links to some fun stuff as yeah, we always we like do. To, we like to uh, really Saturday sleepovers uh, dot We like to uh, po- uh, really like um, we promote the bonus, the website bonus material. Yeah, you get a lot of stuff uh, that that you can get. Uh, if you go right to our site, and you can download directly from the site, or you can play the, the podcast from the site. And of course, iTunes. You know, there's the thing where people get confused because for some reason, the way it shows up in iTunes, it only says like it's a second long. Yeah, I don't know what that is. But if you just download it, it's, it, it's actually the whole thing. It's not yeah. just there for a second. You know, it's not just like one second <laughs> of the show. <laughs> That's it. You can only download it one second at a time. For some reason, it clocks in that way on the on the thing, but it's you'll really get the whole show. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, that's that's all we got for this one. <sighs> Oof, it's a long one. We're we're, we're hitting the long. We're, we're we're longer than the than the director's cut of the movie. <laughs> <would have been. laughs> you know, we've been trying to keep it shorter, but there's <coughs> always so much to talk. About. I know this is one of the ones I was like, let's do an easy movie this week, and you're like, okay, and then like this is <laughs> freaking as hard as the other ones. So you know, for labor intensive us. Getting well, yeah. Together. I mean, there's a lot to talk about. You know, the thing we didn't keep in, we didn't take into account is. There's a long history of Dick Tracy <laughs> that yeah. has to be addressed. Yeah. It's, it's like or Batman's. else it wouldn't be Saturday Night Live movie sleepovers. <laughs> we didn't address. We didn't set the table, as yeah. you say. Set the, set the chairs and everything. So, all right. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, like us. Uh, retweet us. us <laughs> share us. Love us. Uh, get the word out. Get in the your street. friends involved. Yeah. 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 Get, yeah, yeah. Um, if you can. If you feel like it. Yeah. If you like the show. Uh, you know, you write, you in, know write into us. You know somebody that's going to uh, appreciate it, too. You yeah. know, check out on our Facebook page. Let the people know on the Facebook page that we have a podcast. Some people don't know. Yeah, it's yeah. fun. And uh, we'll see you in two weeks with another exciting, fun Another movie. exciting edition of Saturday Night Movies. Sleepovers. Later. Kids, Tracy to kids.
Come in, kids. Come in, kids. It's here at last, the new Dick Tracy two-way wrist radio that keeps you in constant touch with your buddies. Easy to work. Up antenna, switch on, press talk button, and you broadcast from room to room and even house to house. No wires needed, yet voices travel back and forth. Radio on the open road from one bike to another or when out hiking. Dad, Dad, I found a bear's cave. Bear and The powerful, fully transistorized Dick Tracy two-way wrist radio is a real electronic instrument. Make sure all the fellows get their A-OK Dick Tracy wrist radio so they can keep in touch. Over and out. The one and only Dick Tracy wrist radio wherever American toys are sold.